0: This is the Strength Anchor Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. Okay, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 28, 28 of the Strength and Anger podcast. We are going to dive into an interview with Michael Fahey. And we are diving bit.
1: in the deep end.
0: Yep. But uh, before we get into that, any feedback from past weeks?
1: You know, uh, everything's been generally good. You know, the few folks that are reaching out to me, obviously, there's a lot of things going on right now for other people. Uh, you know, feedback on podcasts isn't always their you know, top of mind uh but i've actually had a couple people that have asked specifically for interviews i had somebody ask me uh would we interview ernie franz i had somebody ask me "Would interview louis uh there is a couple interviews that i'm going to talk to you about at some point but there's uh, definitely people asking for more interviews uh with the people that are kind of around uh the history of the sport or uh the wpo Uh, that's generally what uh what i've been getting as far as feedback What, uh, what about you
0: yeah, well, and just to answer some of those questions, yeah, eventually we probably will interview Ernie Franz. He's dealing with some health issues right mm-hmm. now yep. um, in addition to the quarantine. And it's better to get Ernie in person rather than on the phone mm-hmm. has been my experience. And actually my partner, Howard Pedros, posted uh, – I don't know if it's an interview, but some talks that he did with his uh, his assistant, Charlie mm-hmm. Stevens. He had a couple YouTube videos of Ernie talking with uh, Barzine Vizieri and with Jose Garcia. Yep. And there's some some good stories in there. So if you want some Ernie Franz content, there is some there, and we, we've got some more coming as well.
1: Oh yeah, plenty plenty of stuff coming from Ernie.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. So yeah, I, I've I've gotten good feedback on the historical lookbacks, mm-hmm. I think. And then uh, that whenever we have the the letters WPO in our title, we always get a few more listens. So so that's interesting.
1: I am wondering if that is because because I, I so that'll lead into another episode that we do, but. I searched after the super finals last year for WPO. Just looked in uh, podcast for that. Sure, and there is a uh, a whole segment of like foreign language uh, podcasts with the initials WPO. Interesting, and so that that does lead to some people actually finding us, so which is interesting uh so i don't know if we get the the breakdown by country of who listens to us or anything like that but we
0: get some and it like there's probably a dozen additional countries outside of the u.s where we've had some listens Mm -hmm. most of them it says less than one percent which i'm guessing means like one or two listens right right um there's no one else other than the united states that we get like more than one percent it's like you know, ninety-eight mm-hmm. percent U.S. and then like less than one percent of. Now I have to
1: know who, uh, what other countries this come to mind right away.
0: Uh, yeah, I can show them to you. There's a bunch. I mean, yeah, nice. there's, there's a whole bunch of countries. Saudi Arabia was the one that kind of struck me as interesting. Oil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, pretty good. Uh, pretty good feedback, I would say. Nice. Other than that, Bane, what is going on with you? All right, so
1: we were making the notes for this. Uh, I had just gotten done with Laura Phelps at Queen Bee Power posted a workout where basically you loop a a band. And she didn't specify which band, I don't believe, uh, but I just used uh, the Monster Mini. Uh, I ended up doing two of them the first time I did this. Looping it through my uh, my belt, uh, my lifting belt. Yeah, and I was, was going to
0: clarify your lifting belt, not yes. your actual belt. No, because
1: that, that would have snapped in half. And then doing marches for 400 meters, and then every minute on the minute, do five squats and five RDLs. Laura, if you listen to this, I already actually DM'd you this, but it damn near fucking killed me. <laughs> it was, like, that is, it, it was very intense. Now, again, I did use two monster minis. The next time I did it marching, I actually videoed myself on uh, on Instagram doing it. I did an 800-meter march, but just the one monster mini. And that itself was still very, very challenging. Uh, but, yeah, so the lore almost killed me. Uh, that, that was interesting. Every one of your heroes almost kill you. And then uh, just kind of re in a lot of things with my nutrition, reading, listening. I uh, kind of got a little kick in the pants from uh, some uh, colleagues within the industry where I work. Uh, just about, you know, really dialing things in, knowing we're going to be, you know, hunkered down in the in the house for at least through the end of April. So that's kind of yeah. what's going on with me.
0: Yeah, if you're looking for some at-home workouts and you've got, at the very least, a band. Yeah. A band. Singular. Um, Single. Yeah, even a, even a micro mini. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura Phelps, qu- what's the Instagram handle? Uh, at Queen B, at, B Power?
1: At Queen B Power. I think or- at Team Q... Uh, Q- BP or whatever. Is. Yeah,
0: you could search like Queen B or Laura Phelps and you'll probably find your way there on, on the Grams. But uh, correct. She's got some excellent at-home workouts. Jack um,
1: Canberra also at 50 Barbell has some great ones.
0: Yeah, sure. It's some good stuff if you're looking for something to do at home and maybe all you have is a kettlebell, dumbbell, and some bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking about maybe releasing a couple small videos of some mobility things. Ooh. If you're sitting a lot, um, one of my... Uh, programming clients reached out to me and said, "You know, she's having some issues with her her hips being really tight from sitting so much." Mm-hmm. And so I have a couple mobility drills that would help with that. I don't know that I can do quite all the stuff that Phelps does, mm-hmm. but uh, I've got a couple things I could probably look at there.
1: Do some the Midwest side training.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's difficult to do full west side. Yes, very very true. What's uh so Stone? What's going on with you? Well, we had to make uh the difficult decision to postpone our. Autism Fundraising Meet, Mm -hmm. the Pressing the Pieces Together Bench Press Benefit for Autism. Yep. Uh, It was scheduled for April 25th, and we had hoped that maybe we might be able to sneak it in, you know, and and just make it a smaller event. Yep. Um, But when the governor of Illinois extended the shelter at home Mm -hmm. uh, order, uh, not only are we going to have to keep the gym itself closed, but obviously that event is out. And we're trying to reevaluate... The rest of the calendar year of meets, I have like an A B C plan of dates and possibilities, kind of in my head, and some written out. Um, I think we're already past A, unfortunately. With
1: yeah, and with we were even talking about some of the potential options for some of the like the bigger meets, like what what the heck's going to happen at this point?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all kind of up in the air, and I haven't made. Any, I still have lifters emailing me to get into meets that yeah. are full, and I haven't opened registrations to any new meets because I just I don't know where everything's going to fit in. You yeah. know, I've got to reschedule the state meet. We've got to obviously reschedule this autism meet. Um, we've got another meet in May, which I would say is probable at this point that will be postponed as well. I haven't yep. fully made the decision, but it's it's probable. We have a beginners meet in May. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a beginners meet in June. Yeah, um, we have
1: APF and APF Nationals in June. Yeah, <laughs> it's not you guys, but that's still right. One right. We're all so, planning on,
0: so it's it's difficult with the current uh, situation in the country and the world mm-hmm. to try to plan ahead. So I'm, I'm kind of just trying to pencil things in and then, you yep. know, respond to what's happened. That's why I haven't made any long-term decisions yet and why we just now postponed pressing the pieces together.
1: Yeah, and they seem to kind of be doing things in, like, 30-day blocks. So at this point, it's, like, basically everything you do, you just bump it back 30 days, and then what can you combine? What, you know, a lot, a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts. Sure. I but. think
0: perhaps another week or two, if we, if we actually start to see the numbers start to peak and maybe – a little bit of a, a downward trend, then I think maybe I could think a little bit more about how to how to stage the rest of our year at 2XL. Yep. Um, but at this point, I just it's too difficult to to project based on what I've seen already. Yep. Very true. That so, said, yeah, that said, Bane, what is great? You know today?
1: what? This has been a great week. This is this is a great week every year. So March 31st is my mother's birthday, and so I got to celebrate my mom, uh, Carol Bane. If you've Ever met her. Uh, I don't believe you have actually yet, Eric. I don't uh, believe I have. So Carol Bain is a fucking saint, and she's just a wonderful human being, and so I'll get to celebrate my mom. And then a couple days after that, uh, my wife and I are, and actually is, uh, today, as we were recording, uh, celebrating our 15-year anniversary, actually, as of uh, roughly an hour ago. Uh, Nick and I have been married for 15 years. So, uh, Well, congratulations. You thanks. said for how long?
0: 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. That's that's an accomplishment.
1: It, it is. And considering how Nick and I started, if anybody saw the post I made earlier, you know, Nick and I met and we reconnected about a month after that and 5 months later we were pregnant. Uh, mo- statistically, most people do not stay together. And, you know, so we we've we've we pride ourselves on having beaten that and having continued to to figure things out. And, uh, you know, my wife is uh, she is amazing. And so I, I know Nick Raleigh listens to the podcast, but hopefully she'll to this one. And uh, happy anniversary, babe.
0: I I'm going uh, to clip out, uh, you know, minute eight or so and, and send it to her. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: but yeah, so that that's what's great, man. It's been a great week. Uh, you also, I believe, had a pretty great week. Eric, what's what is great with you?
0: So I got to celebrate my wife's 41st birthday hey. and uh, that was on the 30th. yeah so just before your mom's. so it's, uh, this is a great strength and anger week. it it's is wonderful. yep. And so got to actually celebrate with her you know at home on her birthday yeah dance party-ish quote unquote made her dinner. I mean with her help, I'm not much of a cook. yeah I can cut up some potatoes and I could with some supervision throw a steak on a grill. Um, I gotta kick you to some game, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we've all got our talents, Spain. That's fair. Uh, but it was, it was, you know, it's usually a time when we would have, you know, my parents watch the kids and go mm-hmm. out for a nice dinner, use some of our, our gift cards that we have yeah. stored up for, you know, something at Gibson's, something like that. But mm-hmm. you know, we got to spend at home with the kids. Um, I had given her a pretty expensive gift for our first date anniversary mm-hmm. prior to this whole craziness quarantine Coga. occurring, and so. Uh, that was maybe going to be her birthday present, but I decided to give it to her a little early just to have some, some positivity in our lives and had a, a painting done of her dad who passed away this last year along yeah. with, uh, Alice when she was born mm-hmm. and pretty cool service called paintmylife.com and not, not a sponsor, although they could, they'd be welcome to sponsor us. Yeah. But it's a, it's a cool service. You, you send in a picture and they'll have an actual painter, you know, paint that photo that photograph into a picture. I
1: think someone told us about that. Cause Nick and I have a picture we like, like that we really, really enjoy from our wedding. I think somebody actually mentioned that to us once.
0: Yeah. It's not necessarily cheap, but, uh, but it is an actual true painting. And yeah. it, it was very well done. Um, in the case of this photo, uh, the painter was able to take out the background and in the background, my, my father-in-law is, is holding my, my daughter, Alice, right after she was born in the, the
1: black background. I think on Jackie's video, I saw yes. it the other day. Yeah. That's a really, that was really cool.
0: And uh, my brother was in the original photo in the background, like, scrolling on his phone. And not that I don't want my brother in the photo, but not pertinent to what was there. Damn, I can. He's able to, you know, change out the background, and there's maybe a couple other small little details that he was able to, uh, you know, adjust. So it's a a great service if you're looking for a a unique gift.
1: That is really cool. I like that a lot. That's great. That's a great, what is great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So on to our PULSA throwback. PULSA throwback, throwback. So we've got an interesting one this week. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of different, you know, kind of things and things related to us mm-hmm. and, and me even. Um, back from November two thousand four. Yeah, well,
1: we're we're gonna know what you're doing November
0: two thousand four, but
1: <laughs> it's all in here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wasn't exactly doing this in November. So let's see. Let's go back to November two thousand four. Yeah. Um, I would have been. Hmm. I was not graduated from college. I was in college at the time, mm-hmm. um, going to meets, but I was in college. Uh, Jackie and I were just starting to date. We were not wow. engaged. Um, yeah, I think that's about it.
1: Nick and I, this actually about a month before this. Uh, she and I had moved our wedding up from September of 2005 up to uh, April 2nd, 2005.
0: Uh, we're, and, in, we're in 04 on wait, this issue. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so we had moved our wedding up.
0: We you moved it up to April 4 four. You're saying no,
1: April 05. Oh, okay. So we had, we had just decided to.
0: Oh, now I'm following. That's yeah, when you yeah, decided yeah. to move it up. Yes. Okay, and, now I'm following
1: you. And then we uh, we were living in Iowa, and it was interesting. So Nick and I, uh, you know, just because of kind of how we started, all that kind of stuff, uh, we decided that until we got married, we actually were not going to share a bedroom, but we'd share an apartment because we had her, we had Austin, and so uh, you know we'd be living in sin long enough. Uh <laughs> so I actually was sleeping on my couch uh at that time, uh all the way up until uh the night before we got married.
0: Okay. Yeah. So on this issue we've got uh one Jim Grandick from WPC Worlds. The guy who we've, you, uh Chuck. We've got uh Tom Eisman, who is a big deadlifter mm-hmm. in his day. He's got a seven forty four deadlift at Ooh. Wobble Nationals. Wobble. And then we've got uh, Bench America Worlds. We've heard
1: about Bench America. If you Horace, go
0: back. Horace Lane 700 Bench Press. Back in the archives, you hear about Bench America. Yeah, and we're going to talk about it a little bit again. Yay. Um, so we've got Jim Grandick at the 2004 WPC Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is, was an interesting. He did uh, 854, six, seven, that was 854 squat, mm-hmm. 672 bench, 733 deadlift at 275. Big boys. Winning best lifter, but he would go on to do much bigger numbers. Yeah, he's a unit, man. He's
1: got some huge numbers.
0: It's kind of in his early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it's kind of cool. You had a multi-page written report by Herb Glossbrenner. Nice. And Herb did some some pretty good reporting back in those days. Um, it was nice to see you know, a full multi-page write-up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this was actually the first meet uh, that we used the Glossbrenner formula, which wow. Herb Glossbrenner created. Um, and you know recommended we adapt and this was the first meet that we used it for uh the best lifters mm-hmm. um on uh the bench america worlds um it's it's a pretty interesting story, which i w- we have tried to get Joe Mukite on mm-hmm. the show to talk about you know bench america um he says nay, yeah, at this point uh, you know he's got some personal issues which you don 't need to go into, but yep. you know busy with his personal life and professional life and mm-hmm. At this point, isn't interested, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it like six months to a year, and I'm gonna try it again, uh, because there's a D- whole
1: don't take no well, yeah, don't take no well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: I think he could probably be convinced, maybe if I got him on the phone just to. I, I think it's a story that's worth telling. Yeah, um, I think hundred percent. So this was back in 04 and Bench America went from Bench America, and if you don't remember, if you haven't listened to past episodes. The basic premise of Bench America was from Joe Mukite, who was a big bencher himself, mm-hmm. he wanted to compete against everybody who was in the top 100 list. It really kind of revolved around Powerlifting USA. Yeah. And because of the proliferation of federations and different types of lifting, he felt like he was a big bencher, but he didn't have the opportunity to compete against the others in his weight class in the top 100.
1: So He, he was trying to do what everyone talks about, like, hey, let's get the best of the best together and let's all go at it.
0: Yeah, and that was the First Bench America. But the interesting thing about that was the first one was Multiply and Untested. Mm. Ernie Franz was involved as a referee, and actually he had referees from different federations. Dennis Brady from the SAPL was there. Mm. Um, I was there in the crowd. It was at uh, – he held it at uh, the Allstate Arena in Rosemont. Mm-hmm. Apparently – Not ac- far from my house. Yeah, according to reports, took out a third mortgage on his house in order to secure that space. Jesus. And sold tickets through Ticketmaster. Um, I remember that our specific tickets were in one area, but we were instructed to go down closer because they didn't sold all the tickets. Mm-hmm. So obviously that third, third mortgage didn't yield great results. At this time, he had gone from Bench America, mm-hmm. just U.S. lifters, to then making it, you know, America versus the world. And it was kind of a, a country competition. But he had also changed it to single-ply drug-tested, which was...
1: Boo. interesting
0: he claimed that sponsorships and he was trying to get some kind of, he was trying to get on fox sports that was the talk and i don't know if that ever happened or not i don't remember it ever happening but supposedly he talked to quote a chiropractor oh, and yeah. the chiropractor said that the only thing you'd ever need is a single ply shirt you would never need a multiply and i'm like well it just it, it, at that point you might as well have just gone raw yeah stay with um, me now kids Wrong. (laughs) And I'm not sure why they went to test it. And from what I understand, I'm not sure it was uh, maybe uh, the greatest drug testing protocol in the world, (laughs) but it was, quote, drug tested. Um, We're going to talk more about Bench America Mm -hmm. next week. I've got some really good stuff from an individual that was actually wrote the article in this Powerlifting USA, uh, Sean Catterley. Nice. And there's a whole story around him.
1: Wait, there's more story and layers to a story in Powerlifting. Um, no,
0: yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. That's a Sean Catterly is as I was going through it today, if I could get him on, which I don't know that I want to talk to him because mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of his mm-hmm. but uh, there's a whole story in and of itself there with Sean Catterly.
1: There, there is so much folklore around the history of Powerlifting. That's one of the things I just love about it is just it's so unique and interesting anyway.
0: So we've got uh, Gary Frank's road to 2,800 plus and yes. Anthony mm-hmm.
2: Um
0: Yeah, there's not a, anything super interesting, but it was just interesting looking at how he cleaned up Gary's diet and mm. had him eat more meals and had him you know, include more protein. Um, and just interesting to see kind of that that road, to, as we talked about in previous uh, episodes, Gary Frank being, I think we said, the first to 25, 26, 27, 28. Or, no, first right. to 26, 27, 28. Right. And, you know, pretty interesting looking at his progression. Um, this is one that I, I, I've i been dying to talk to you about, Bane. Uh, we all know who C.T. Fletcher is, right?
1: Yes, we do. And it's still your motherfucking
0: set. Uh, at this time, C.T. Fletcher was involved in an organization called the World Legion of Power. which he actually ha- talks
1: about that on his... Uh, his documentary, "My Magnificent Obsession."
0: I will. I'll have to watch that. Watch that documentary. I've never seen it, but it's CT Fletcher, who's a CEO and founder, along with Dr. Arnold Nuremberg, who's this mm-hmm. really strange individual. And these were raw drugs. Sounds
1: like a made-up name. Not gonna lie.
0: Yeah, these were raw drug-tested meats. Yep. Let me let me let me emphasize that drug-tested yes. trust meats with yes. CT Fletcher.
1: Yes, tested meats.
0: So yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's another whole story there about yeah. this world Legion of power.
1: And, and let me be very clear. I love C.T. Fletcher. I I really enjoy him. I enjoy his, his character uh, that he they portrays on social media. I've met the man in person a couple of times, had a great conversation with him at the Chicago Fit Expo. I enjoy C.T. Fletcher, but let's call it what it is. Drug tested. Don't mean drug free.
0: Yeah. You're, you're not wrong there. <laughs> so then we've got, uh, I'll pull this up for you and I'll probably post these pictures. I probably have the original somewhere, but we've got 2004 AAPF Nationals results. Eric AAPF Stone AAPF. himself did a 551 squat, 341 bench. Is that Eric Stone myself, you would say? 473 deadlift at <laughs> 165. Yours truly. This was uh, Just right, a little guy. This was right after tearing my hamstring on my 21st birthday. And, yes, uh, Bane, that was out running sprints on the track for some strange, strange reason. Once again, I stand by my statement. Run me as stupid. Um, and, ironically, there was also results from the 2004 AWPC World in the same issue, which huh. were, you know, months apart. I think Nationals was in, I want to say March. It's and, probably March, April. Is when the yeah, i pretty sure it was in March because it was six weeks after because my birthday was on February 9th and I I'm think trying. it was like six weeks prior to the meet.
1: Oh, so yeah. We mean, yeah. Yeah. Made mark around my birthday, actually.
0: And then we had AWPC Worlds that was in Chicago mm-hmm. where I did a four seventy five seventy four squat, 358 bench, and 440 deadlift. I remember missing my last deadlift, which I think was like 485. Mm-hmm. Also at 165. And yours truly is actually in oh, picture. Oh, look at that. In the issue. You and 14.
1: It's cute.
0: That's with the bleach blonde hair that's been referenced in mm-hmm. um, the first fight Jackie and I had, <laughs> which I is met her parents with bleach blonde hair and looked like I was 12. Is apparently. it
1: Eric? Is it Eminem?
0: We don't know. Uh, our, my teammate at the time, Shar Powell. Oh, nice. Is also a picture of her benching in there, and you can see me in the background yep. with my bleach blonde hair. Gosh. She did a 385. Slim
1: shady call in depth.
0: 385. <laughs> Uh squat, one hundred ninety two bench, three sixty-four deadlift at one forty eight. Um I'm not sure if she's a master's lifter or a submaster at that point, but she mm-hmm. was uh did bigger numbers than that. But yeah. um you know, certainly uh had some big numbers and someone who I'm sure you've heard of at the uh in Morosher lore.
1: Oh yes, oh yes. I heard plenty about Shara. All positive.
0: So this was a pretty interesting article. Uh, we have John Smoker's squat routine. John, really? Yeah. Smoker, nice man. Smoker's had a few articles published in Powerlifting USA. That's dope. I love Smoker,
1: man. He's good people.
0: I mean, and he came over and and maxed out with us. He did. Um, in our state meet, you know, replacement max out day, last minute on the Saturday before the. Quarantine started, and I brought full WPO hype for that man. That was so <laughs> much fun, <laughs> and he, yeah, he pulled a deadlift. How much was it?
1: Uh, I want to say it was 445 four forty-five or something. Yeah, it was, it was a solid deadlift,
0: and he's probably a 165-er at seventies and seventies, and would have been a national record. Yep. So, two things that stood out to me. Um, one was that he had platz squats, which I would call, yeah. which I would call piston squats, essentially okay. where you don't completely lock out at the top. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things he used to work the quads. Mm-hmm. And this is Those one... Are
1: usually heels together too, correct?
0: No. I mean, that, that's at least what he called plat squats. Okay. I think they were a close stance. I don't think they were necessarily heels together. Okay,
1: that's what I always have heard of. But same thing, they don't lock Yeah, out
0: the Yeah, I call them piston squats. Okay. That's essentially what to work the quads. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he had Russian cage squats, which I will read. Mm-hmm. Um, these are done, in, quote, these are done in a rack with two spotters. The lifter should begin by placing the pins so that... When the bar is resting on them, the athlete will be at legal depth when they get under it. The squatter starts the position from a dead stop to begin the exercise. The athlete should select a weight they will not be able to come up with after approximately five reps. When they become stuck at the bottom, the two spotters should help them up. The spotter should replace the pins about a third of the way up. Then the squatter goes to failure again from that position. In step three, the the pins are placed two-thirds the way up. Lifting to failure at this position completes the exercise. That is some... uh, Interesting. Some crazy volume there yeah, from is. our guy, John Smoker, who's been lifting for, I think he said on that day, what, 40 years? Yeah. Yeah. Longer than most people in that gym have been alive at that point. And then we'll go to our top 100 at 132s mm-hmm. from July 03 to August 04. We've got C. Williams with a 600 squat at 132. Uh, Kay Unton, not someone I know, at 425 bench, Tina Reinhardt, who's a female and has number two with 402. Uh, Richard Hawthorne, who's someone we've mentioned before, he's got a 580 deadlift. Nice. C. Williams with the total with 1471 and Richard Hawthorne was number two with 1405. So, uh, some big lifting at 132 and as you kind of search down the list, you definitely see some some female names mixed in there because there just aren't that many adult men that are uh, you know Always at 132. In fact, I made the proposal years ago to eliminate the women's 97 pound class mm-hmm. and eliminate the men's 114 to 123 class mm-hmm. and add a women's 220 class, which I felt would be a nice addition given that there are less yeah. women's weight classes than men. And that, you know, if you're a, you know, like a Jennifer Gemmel that sits around maybe at a natural weight of, you know, let's say between two, 198. Yeah. 210 to 215, mm-hmm. um, you know, she basically has to, you know, bulk up, which, you know, most women don't want to do, Correct. or cut down to 198 to compete in someone, you know, similar her size, because you'll have some females that'll be 250, 300. Oh, yeah. Always um, see them. You know, Becca Swanson had a, a lean, you know, she was in the probably 240s at yeah, her top. she's
1: a unit.
0: She's also tall, which, she I mean, is. she's close to six feet, as I remember. Yeah, like four five. I, think she, yeah I think she's 5'11". Yeah. So from here, we are going to go into an interview with Michael Fahey, and he will go into his own introduction, but he is the producer-filmmaker of West Side vs. the World.
1: And this is... I, buckle up. Yep. If you're listening to this, you've already seen how long this interview is. Just get ready to buckle up.
0: Yeah, it, it is It is pretty interesting stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Okay. Today we've got with us Michael Fahey. The Michael Fahy of West Side versus the World Fame. Yes. Michael, w- WPO fame too. Yes, as well as well. WPO. So Michael, uh, you want to give a quick intro on yourself?
3: Uh yeah, sure.
4: I'm uh I'm Michael Fahey. I make documentaries and uh, dabble a little bit in some other sports television projects and
1: that's
4: okay. pretty much it.
1: Okay. Okay uh favorite food blood type and uh shoe size, please sir <laughs>
4: shoe size thirteen food
1: I'm hey, hey.
4: gonna go uh sushi, oh really, okay, yeah, okay, some sort of seafood yeah, if you got like shrimp broil or shrimp boil or something, you we'll get down on that nice, and uh blood type, please blood type uh I think I'm like, oh, let's oh. say negatives there's uh
0: I have no clue what, what I got my like like a, a one. In eight. and <laughs> I'm going to have to go ask my mom what my blood type it's, is.
1: It's kind of interesting. little little sidebar is so I am a positive and Nick is O negative. Supposedly, we are like the least compatible. Like we should not be able to have children.
0: Oh, well. Uh, I obviously beat
1: that.
4: I, I think there's some other things that would stand in the way of us procreating.
1: Well, no, I'm not talking about <laughs> you and minor me. I'm talking details. About, I'm talking about me and my wife. Oh. We have <laughs> we have the like exact opposite blood types. and Theoretically, we shouldn't be able to, and yet we have four. Yes, yes.
0: Well, let's move on to the, the topic yeah. at hand today, Mister Bain. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Sorry, this is that's what I do. Quite I a just, podcast you all yeah, have here. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. Yeah, yeah. It's never dull.
0: So, tell us, Michael, how did you first get involved in just film?
4: Uh, in film, huh? I had a neighbor who was a uh, budding rapper way okay. back in the day, and uh, as we I had all a do. lot of friends. Yeah, I had a lot of friends who were. I was a white kid. It was the turn of the century. Oh, uh, I- we I, were all I feel personally attacked right now.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> we were all discovering outcast and other forms of urban music uh, and solid Just in trance. Um but yeah, I had a bunch of friends who got like really big into music, mostly into rap and stuff, mm-hmm. and um I started making and selling beats. Nice. Um
1: not the headphones, like really? actual like tapes and whatnot. Uh
4: the actual like you know wave files of of instrumentals oh um but uh i was always like pretty artistically inclined and when my friends started getting into music i i just wanted to be a part of something that like people were doing creative things with Mm -hmm. um
3: but uh didn't want to
4: you know didn't want my voice on
3: wax or anything and
4: didn't uh didn't really want to be in the front of whatever was going on okay um but eventually, whenever they would get to something like they needed artwork or something, um, I felt much more sort of natural and at home doing that kind of stuff. So making album covers or, um, eventually I got a camera, tried some photography and stuff. And then one day, um, we made a music video and I was like, this is it. This is the, this is the thing that I'm like, that I
3: understand okay once you once you take a camera and add motion like taking a slow picture i'm I'm not too great at that mm-hmm. um
4: but once you add like movement and um you know take a a still scene and turn it into something living uh that made a lot more sense to me. I felt natural at that and okay. that was towards the tail end of high school and then I decided to and I'm, trying to go to film school, got kicked out of film school.
0: Okay. I'm sure there's there's a story there. there. Yeah, I feel like there's a story there. <laughs> Maybe you do or do not want to tell.
4: <laughs>
0: no, it's not
4: really a good story. It was uh, I was going to Florida State, and they passed a new budget in 2006. Um, Jeb Bush's last budget, which was fun, because Jeb Bush had written my college recommendation. Wow. Um. Wow. Yeah. And then, like, did you produce some beats for him, be and that's why he
1: did that? Or <laughs> huh? did you produce some beats for his campaign, and that's why he did that? Or
4: what? <laughs> I'm sure they've got a rapper son or nephew or something. They've got to, but I'm sure uh, they do. <laughs> no, I had I had gotten in an argument with him at a dinner. Okay. Um, I had gotten invited to a dinner. Um, not really even invited. Just my mom had gotten invited to a dinner. She had brought me. And then somehow I got seated across from him. Okay. And, um, there were a bunch of reporters there and stuff. And somehow they start asking him about running for president and stuff. And I start asking him about, uh, if it was true that his name was being floated for the next uh, NFL commissioner. Mm -hmm.
0: What year was this approximately?
4: This was right around. Had to be summer of 2004.
1: Okay. Oh, so, yeah, it had to be like right around. Yeah, early 2000s. So, yeah. Wow. Crazy. So, uh, yeah.
4: So that somehow, I think he wanted to talk to me as a means of deflecting away from the uh, conversation about his brother and mm-hmm. his uh, future goals and whatnot. But yeah. So a couple months later, somehow we had gotten to talking about what I wanted to do and where I was going to go to school and I thought I was going to play Ivy League football at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, just one day in the mail, got a nice letter and it was from Jeb, you know, saying that, uh, Princeton should accept me into, uh, their welcoming arms. And then, uh, Princeton decided not to do that. And I oh. decided to do film school instead. Okay. And then he slashed the budget. And uh, Florida State called me up one day and said, you know, hey, kid, uh, sorry to do this, but uh, last one in, first one out, you were the last person we picked. Ouch. Ouch. So, yeah. Then I ran into him uh, like a year and a half ago on a shoot, and he was asking me and said, you know, did you go to film school or something? I said, yeah.
3: And he goes, what happened with that? Oh, no. Well, I got kicked out. He said, yeah, you know, I got some parties and stuff, too, well, I don't like drink or smoke or anything. So it wasn't that kind of a situation. And he said, Oh, what happened?
4: I said, Uh, budget cutbacks. <laughs> and then
1: Did that finally hit him when you said that?
4: Oh yeah. He's he's a uh, he's a pretty smart individual. Yeah. And uh real quick he said, Wait, you went to Florida State, right? I said, oh, Yep. Oh man. And he, he said, What year was that? Please say oh <laughs> seven. <laughs> I said, Nope, that was uh that was what? Like March of two
3: thousand six. Oh
4: man. Ouch. And so I I said, Don't worry, it it worked out.
0: Yeah, yeah, it seems to my Did you watch end up still on Netflix? Did it's you end up still going, going to right. college or or did uh, you or did, from there he just went on to do other film work?
3: No, I uh I
4: briefly thought about dropping out and playing arena league football with some friends and uh Woke up one day on a beach and decided that was not the way that I wanted my life to go, mm-hmm. and uh transferred into a small program called uh, media production, hmm. which was two years of people going, "Oh, you're in film school," and me going, "Nah, it, it's not important."
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Fair enough. Trying to explain what yeah. it's like trying to explain what powerlifting is. Like, so you guys get up on stage? No, you know what? It's, never mind. Yeah, never mind. I won't <laughs> talk about <laughs> yeah. it.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like they go, oh, so like in the Olympics, and before you can tell them, they've just switched subjects and yep. no one cares. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So so then I have to ask before we move on to the next question. So did you, you – you never got in front of the camera then for making the music videos. You were just behind the camera. Yeah. So you could have said, hey, if you don't want your producer I'll dance all dancing on the videos, come over to Fahey Productions and we'll, we'll make it big. <laughs> <laughs> all the real ones will get that reference.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh,
1: so, so it's so outside of film and and you know documentaries and, and everything else. What else do you do? What have you done?
3: Um,
4: outside of film and documentaries, yeah. Um,
1: like, so like
4: video stuff or yeah, yeah.
1: Like so you, like you and I talked in the line at the at the WPO. Like you, you've got a pretty interesting career path. I, you know, what kind of tell us a little bit more about that?
4: Um, well, I, I. Out of college, I got a gig as an intern on a documentary called Forks Over Knives, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty much the opposite end of the spectrum, sort of from West Side versus the world. Very much so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I did that, I followed the diet and lifestyle and everything. Interesting. Yeah.
0: And that's a more of a vegan, vegetarian type of documentary, as I remember.
4: Yeah. It was sort of the, uh, the first, Um, big kind of, you know, if you've heard the term plant-based, that's why, Mm. um, for about two and a half, almost three years, I think it was the most watched, um, most watched documentary by far, but one of the most watched, uh, things on Netflix period, because that was before they had like original programming. Oh, gotcha. Um, so yeah, it was the, the first kind of plant-based. Vegan, whole foods, plant-based uh, kind of salvo into the the greater consciousness.
1: Um, so you help with the propaganda. Nice job,
4: Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're not a uh, competitive athlete or something, if you're a sedentary, like older person who has you know weight and diet and lifestyle issues, then it's a Perfectly rational, probably highly effective
1: way to go. You're probably uh, not wrong. I just like to have a lot of fun with it.
4: Yeah,
1: um,
4: <laughs> I've I've gotten that several times where I was doing an interview with uh, John Wellborn. Mm-hmm. He started complaining about those kind of movies, and he brought up Forks Over Knives specifically. And I said, you know, I actually edited that and did the diet and everything. It's like, well, how'd you feel? I said. Actually, like the absolute best I've ever felt. Interesting. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, said so, like I was running five miles a day, doing like barefoot running and the occasional like kettlebell challenge, and I weighed about 190 pounds.
1: Yeah, when you just said running so, five miles a day, I to throw my mouth a little bit. <laughs>
3: yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. So another kind of weird. Yes. Uh, I tend to spend a few years getting wrapped up into different strange things. That's um. Awesome. But then that led me to uh, the first editor who worked on that movie, because everyone on that movie basically quit. Oh, wow. So I was the intern, and then six months later, I was the only person in the office.
1: So you were last man standing, essentially.
4: Yeah. They they literally just, people kept quitting. People kept getting fired. And I was, at one point in time, I was the only one who had come back to the office. Mm-hmm. So I got let go on that project, I think, seven times. Wow. Wow. And every time they'd ask me to come back, partly because I made a really complex file system,
3: mm. um, so Job I didn't have anything to
4: yeah, I didn't have anything to do. I was the intern. So they you know back then they still used tapes. Oh, so they put me in charge of digitizing all the tapes. And I just made a really confusing um, file structure, and they realized when they let me go, uh, the editor quit the next day because he couldn't find any <laughs> any of the files. Um, it, it was really easy, but the code to sort of deciphering it was completely arbitrary, and all the things were like references to stuff that had happened in my life. So
3: Gotcha, gotcha. A weird
4: bit of a built-in security for myself. Sure. So the first editor who quit um, said he didn't want anything to do with it. He, uh, on his way out the door, he said, uh, you know, taking this gig at a uh, NFL network and in LA it's weird for like film people to be into sports. Okay. I'm from Florida. Like I was in the art club and stuff and went to like the art high school, but
1: y'all are still doing sports in Florida. That's how, that's like religion down there.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, you could be like a goth drama kid, but you also play fullback.
1: Right. Right. Um, and you're just so, and angry back there in the backfield. Yeah. <laughs> um,
4: you understand like zone blocking and everything, but like... Do
1: um, you have an existential crisis as soon as they call a double cover? So... Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but so uh, he said like you'd, you'd work really well there because none of the editors know football. Mm-hmm. So that was like a weird you know... Well,
0: you're saying none of the right? editors at NFL Network knew Football?
4: Yeah, like the technical, the guys who actually sure like, right. make the cuts and stuff on interesting. the interesting, we- not the editor producers. Although I would say that um, I'm sure you run into it all the time. It's like if you went to you know a commercial gym mm-hmm. and you tried to talk training with like one of the trainers there.
3: Yeah. And you-
4: Probably be of the opinion that, like, they don't know training. Um, the NFL network was kind of the same thing, and ESPN is kind of the same thing where you're like, none of these people actually know the sports that they are employed to produce content on all day long.
1: Huh, interesting. Yeah, I have a a Um, lot of thoughts on that, but I'm going to keep those to myself for now because that would be a whole (laughs) different side of the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah, but
4: so, uh, yeah, so a few months later, I got a gig at NFL Network, and they learned really fast that, like, I did actually know football. Mm-hmm. And um how the jobs were kind of structured there was if you were an editor, and they'd have, like, 20 editors in there at any one time, and you'd be assigned different shows and have a different laundry list of tasks for the day.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: But um all the other editors had, like some young 20-something, fresh out of, like, college, frat boy, fantasy, wonderkin, Mm -hmm. uh, who would sit behind them, whose literal job would just be to translate football to the highly technical editing position in front of them.
1: I have missed out on my calling in life. Holy shit.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so then I get in there and... Uh, immediately just got into arguments with the person signed to me. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, all right, well, we're just going to leave you in this room by yourself then. Right. And uh, then one day they brought me a this kid and I was like 22. Mm-hmm. They had also thought that uh, because I'd edited Forks Over Knives, which was just starting to get picked up and get some traction. They had thought that I was like 32 and just kind of baby faced. Mm. And I was there for a good, like, maybe nine months before they realized that I was the youngest person by like eight years that they had ever hired.
3: Wow. Yeah. Um, we were doing something on,
4: uh, doing this package on Christian ponder for his draft day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like Steve Mariucci was in my office and they had one of the, one of the producers who actually like was in charge of things walk in and we're doing this thing on ponder and I get to talking to Mary Uchi about Ponder. And I said, "Yeah, he's a he's a great guy. I, I know him." Mm-hmm. He says, "Oh, how do you know him?" I said, well, "Well, I went to school with him." And I didn't know him well. I just had shot some things for the sports video for the sure. department. knew of him. Yeah, knew of him. Had you know,
1: like he knew. He knew who you were. I'm I'm assuming if you were filming yeah. him, you know, you guys would interact together occasionally.
4: Yeah, that he didn't like know my name or anything. He just sure. being like, "Oh yeah, there's one of the big guys who films every once in a
1: while." Yeah, you do see an and
3: <laughs> yeah,
4: um, and they're like, you know, oh, that's that's weird. Wait a second. They're like, he's he's twenty two, <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm twenty three. He's a year behind me, and they freaked out and like pulled me out of the room and stuff, and I was just like, I've been doing stuff for y'all for like. <laughs> Almost a year now. Like, I think I'm good. That's fine. Um, and then one day they brought me uh, Connor Mara, uh, Rooney Mara, and Kate Mara's brother. Okay. His, his family owns the Giants. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Only they didn't tell
4: me who he was. They just put him in the back of my room. And so I started making fun of him immediately and then i got reprimanded i sure um, did <laughs> yeah informed that i was basically insulting my boss and then <laughs> uh but they left and after chewing me out in front of him and then he was like it's actually pretty cool because everyone here acts really weird to me nice and then it turned out that like i had played football with like one of his old roommates in high school
3: oh that's dope that's awesome.
4: um but yeah i've the nature of, like, video and film work tends to be that, like, projects are relatively short. Right. Um, and even when I was at NFL Network, that was usually, like, a three to four day a week thing. So even during that, I was working on a whole bunch of other things, you know, TV shows. And I worked for Travel Channel for a couple of years, years. Okay. Um, yeah, lots of weird stuff. I worked with Robin Williams once. Oh, now I'm sad. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was one of the last things he ever did.
1: Oh wow. That's Yeah. But this is a fact that you got to be kind of around, you know, someone like that. I mean, I can just imagine what just his just his aura and his energy has got to be just incredible.
4: Yeah, he I mean, he was super nice and stuff. It was like a it was really like only a a month or two before mm-hmm. he passed oh, and wow. he was he was like very obviously um like they told us he was sick that day. Mhm. Well, looking back, it's like, oh, it's obviously depressing. Um, yeah. Yeah. He had Louie body dementia. Oh, wow. Which is sort of like a severe depression, but it's your body's giving you um, weird kind of manic depressive feedback mm-hmm. yeah. and pain and stuff. So he was, yeah, he was not in very good uh, spirits, yeah. uh, but he was super nice. One of the nicest people that I've worked with.
1: That's. Well, that's good. That's one of those things you always kind of you know, worry about. It. You meet your heroes, meet the people you look up to, and you know you always hear you're not supposed to because something is going to go awry, but that's just, that's beautiful to hear that he's uh, you know just a great guy, even in, in a
0: terrible circumstance for himself, personally. Yeah. So kind of from there, Michael, uh, how did you roll into first the idea for West Side versus the World, um, and then maybe kind of walk through, like, why West Side? Why powerlifting? How did that all come together?
4: Um, well, so again, I played football, mm-hmm. um, okay. in and, and what Florida, do you play? I started at nine different positions in three years on varsity. Okay. Um, so mostly I was sort of recruited as like an undersized, uh,
1: guard, the prospect. Cause you look like a tight end or, to me when I see you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's well, not no, a school, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Some <laughs> schools were looking at me as a tight end. Okay. Um, I wasn't, I'm, uh, I'm a lot more athletic, I think, than I look. I'm not athletic now. Um, but even when I was younger, like I was, I ran a 48 at 240 plus pounds and, um, was pretty agile, Mm -hmm. but was always kind of typecast as, uh, a big, slow white kid. Even if I was literally the, you know, second or third fastest person on. A team, I would always just kind of gave off like slow white kid vibes, I guess.
1: Well, we generally don't look fast when we run. That's just kind of a white people thing. But. <laughs> no.
4: <laughs> um,
0: Don Beebe looked pretty fast when he ran. That, that's true. He local did. guy from he around here. Him and Tim Dwight actually looked.
4: Really oh yeah. Too. Um, but uh, yeah. So a couple schools looked at me as a tight end. Okay. Um, a couple schools. I was a really good blocker. Um, but at about six two and a half, six three, and 240 pounds a lot of schools wanted me to bulk up to play like guard Mm -hmm. um which if i wanted to like commit to being um at least if 17 year old me wanted to commit to being like as fat as 33 year old me is (laughs) I, i probably would have been a pretty good guard but uh um anyways when i started high school i was like I was I was really slow, um, and I was only about 160 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then I got no playing time my freshman year, and became just like radically insulted that I wasn't good enough to like even get in a game on like a JV or even freshman like only level. Okay. Um, so I just started working out every day. My dad was already obsessed with Westside. He had all the tapes.
3: Oh, uh, had, okay.
4: Yeah, we had stacks of Powerlifting USA. And actually, a couple of years earlier, I started doing shot Track and field nationals were in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And my dad had decided to take one of the only trips that he'd ever taken when I was young um, to chaperone this week track meet in Cleveland. Only he had the ulterior motive that he was actually going to drive me down to West Side, uh, pretty much every day. And this is back when they were in the little, the little blacked-out window strip club, <laughs> looking West Side that is seen as one of the more hardcore uh, eras of the gym. Mm-hmm.
0: So this and probably so, would have been early 2000s, I'm guessing.
4: This was 99. Oh, okay, 99. Yeah. So he uh, he told me uh, one day the rest of the team they all went to the meet. And I didn't compete until the last day, so he loaded me up in a rental car and said, "We're going go to go go to this gym and meet these guys." In
1: like two, twelve hours away from Cleveland, though. Yeah, um,
4: <laughs> I did not know that. I don't think oh. he really. Knew that. Uh, well, it's Ohio, it's kind big,
0: right? He's thinking, yeah. oh, I'm from Florida. Go to Ohio."
4: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're going to Ohio. Might as well stop by Westside. Um, be on the way to get some groceries or something. Sure and so uh so we hop in the rental car we drive down to columbus and uh where every you know young child wants to go when they're on (laughs) you know their august vacation yeah and uh we pull up to the strip club or the strip mall i mean you're not far off
1: yeah it's it's like pretty darn close either probably close to one
4: yeah It's, it's like a really weird chippendales review yeah um
1: Dude, squeeze into the
0: tight in. polyester.
4: Yeah. Well, we walk in and it's, uh, Chip and Yogi Bear. It's, it's Dave Tate and Chuck is sitting there. Only he was injured at the time. So it's like a, just a very angry Chuck stewing in the corner while everyone else is getting to squat and he's not. That makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, and then Louie, they said, oh, you know, Louie's Louie's in the back and he was in the bathroom. Um, and he comes waddling out, and he's all of you know, I had heard my dad talk about these people at the time. Mm-hmm. And Dave Tate was big, and you know, Chuck is all of like five, nine, maybe.
1: Yeah.
4: Um, but to 12 year old me, he was still pretty big. Yeah, he's a unit, he's, um, he's
1: a large human, no matter which way you slice it.
4: Yeah. And he was probably like, I want to say he was like a 242 mm-hmm. around then, maybe about to make the jump up to 275. Um, and I'm like, I don't know, 130, 140 pounds, I'm little. And uh, then Louie bottles out of the back, you know, old man, shirtless, um, but all of like 5'5", so we're like eye level. <laughs> and in his real nasally voice, he you know, walks up and, what's up? And Dave uh, Tate you know, says, Louie, this is... This is John and his son Michael, and you know, they they wanted to train with us. And he's, All right. And he says to my dad, like, you got any gear? <laughs> my dad's just like, oh, yeah, one second. It just like shoves me to the side and comes running back in. But he's Louie, I want you to meet my son. And he pokes my arm mm-hmm. from behind. Uh, yeah, I'm just standing there and he kind of shoves me from right behind the elbow and shoves my arm forward. And Louie, as he's walking up, is just digging in his briefs and talking about how his balls itch, and he's putting all this—what uh what is it, gold bond? He, yeah, he's just like shoveling handfuls of gold bond down there. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> got to keep it dry.
4: Yeah, and my dad shoves my arm forward, and Larry goes, "Nice to meet you." And he grabs my hand with the same hand. I can just, yeah, with the same hand, and I can just feel. Like the grain of gold bond, he was (laughs) still, and and I was just like, why the like? In my head, I was like, I'm pretty sure I could call child services over this. Like, this is not, (laughs) this this is definitely not a story we're gonna tell mom. Nah,
1: it puts hair in your chest. um, It's fine. Yeah,
4: and uh, so I just sat, and then I sat awkwardly in the corner, Mm -hmm. and I made the mistake of getting too close to Chuck, and he growled at me. (laughs) Um. No words, just, Mm. you know, like an angry dog, just like, all right. So then I went and stood like, just, it's a very tiny space, like 800 square feet. So I'm trying to stand like just behind. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, a mono and multiple racks and all the equipment that they had. So I'm just kind of like
3: all these sandwiched in
4: behind. Yeah. I'm just sandwiched in behind like a back machine and, and just like trying not to be seen for the next, two hours or so. Right. And we do this like two or three times that week. And, uh, eventually Louie and Dave have me throwing medicine balls and dragon sleds. And they just beat the shit out of me basically with, uh, with work and going, you know, Oh,
3: you should try this. You
4: should try this. No, have them do this. And, you know, uh, the short of it is I threw eight full feet or eight full feet shorter at nationals than I should have. Yeah, um, and uh, had my like worst meet of the season on the biggest stage, uh, but I guess it was worth it. Um, for all the things that set in motion.
1: Uh, that is a story, and I, I don't know if you know this if you listen to our our previous podcast, but Eric does a mean Louie impression, so he has <laughs> so much new material now. <laughs>
3: That's amazing.
4: <laughs> oh, I can I can tell you so many stories.
1: Oh, Not we're like, going to get you liquored up at the WPO. And we're going to get some from <laughs> you. So,
4: all right. Um, but yeah, so eventually, uh, or from that rather, my dad asked Louie if Louis would ever come down and do a seminar mm-hmm. in Florida because he heard that Louie did seminars. Louie said, no, of course, because he doesn't leave his little.
3: And uh, he has come to Chicago.
4: Yeah, it, but it, it, takes a lot. <laughs> It, there's so much prodding involved I can only and, imagine and, and, yeah it's, it's you know it's a big grudging thing um, mm-hmm. so uh you know there's no leverage in that instance to get him to leave Ohio mm-hmm. uh certainly not for Florida um and I think my dad offered him like a considerable sum of money to come down'
1: it's, um, hard pass
4: yeah huh. Louie just you know money is not money's not the currency that makes his world go around.
0: Um, so, now, did your dad compete in powerlifting, or was he just interested in lifting weights in general?
4: Uh, no, my dad played semi-pro football until he was 37.
3: Oh, wow. Okay.
4: Yeah, he was a stockbroker, and then as soon as the market closed, he was a middle linebacker. Um, and he's insane and is much like Louie.
0: I mean, stockbrokers that I've trained before are just, crazy i mean they they usually just they want to keep chasing that that high
1: yeah that's when you when you make that first big nut and i'm sure your dad has probably explained this to you many many times but you 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 hit that the first time and that's like that's like getting high the first time like you can never match it but it is just you Mm -hmm. it's the rest of your life is spent you're you're an addict you're hooked
4: oh yeah um but so uh louis said no Mm-hmm. But then Dave Tate was very quick to say, you know, well, I don't know. I've got this whole thing and, you know, lead FTS and got these force training seminars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my dad said, you know, oh, well, you come down to our gym. Now, our gym was a two car garage at our house.
1: So bigger than Westside. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, about the same size. Fair, um, fair. But, uh, it, you know, we had. We had at one point we had two monoliths, um, a belt squat
0: in your in your garage. You had two monoliths in your garage. My two
4: God. monoliths. Now again,
0: and this uh, is okay, early two thousands when there weren't yeah. that many monoliths,
4: right? And in case this wasn't clear, again, my dad had never and has never competed in a powerlifting meet. I had never and have never competed in a powerlifting meet.
1: We'll put a pin in that.
4: So. <laughs> so my dad's just this crazy guy from florida who's like yeah man i got a gym i want you to come down and put on this
0: a florida man yeah (laughs) florida man with two monos
4: (laughs) yeah
3: um
4: and my dad's actually from lake forest um oh interesting like illinois yeah so um he grew up like dirt poor in lake forest which
1: which that's like middle class everywhere else
0: No, no.
4: I mean, like, he grew up in a shack. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. With like 12 people in like one room, and everyone around him was very wealthy.
1: Yeah. Like, stupid, like, (laughs) fuck you
4: money everywhere up there.
0: Lake Forest now is definitely fuck you money.
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, So he has a weird relationship with money and sort of.
1: uh, He and
4: Louis are issues with it. Sounds like.
1: Huh? So he and Louie are a little bit on the same wavelength. Yeah, yeah, he was.
4: He like has a huge chip on his shoulder and um, a resentment of wealth and power structures and all kinds of things. Uh, that largely he's passed on to me.
1: But then, yet, um, is a stockbroker, which or give the opportunity for significant income and wealth and all that kind of stuff.
4: Yeah, well, I, I think it was uh, probably a lot to do. I've never really talked with him about this specifically, but my theory's always been, you know, like uh, most of the people who are around him, it's familial and dynastic wealth. Mm-hmm. And where I grew up in Florida and Tallahassee, I was pretty much in a similar sort of like neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, you know, seeing like just kind of how like you're you're around kids who just kind of fail upwards. Mm. And, you know, we had some money, um, but we like bought the big house thinking that the money would just keep escalating and it never did. Mm. Um, but grew up around like the kids who got Range Rovers and BMWs and stuff when they were 16 and,
1: Oh gosh, gotcha. you so know, like golf shorts. And if you touch me, my daddy will sue you. Those kind of kids.
4: Yeah. got, um, it. got it. and very much the same sort of thing of like, you know. You're surrounded yeah by sort of hapless idiots with money mm-hmm. and through your own you know wild and cunning nature you find your way up or at least that's the that's the right? <laughs> Uh that's,
1: that's a whole nother whole other candy would go on for a while so
4: yeah but uh but so anyways that's that that's him mm-hmm. um yeah but uh he invites Dave Tate down and picks Dave Tate up. You know, several months later at, um, or a year later at the, uh, at the airport in Tallahassee mm-hmm. and Dave's asking him about the gym and Dave's told me the story before. And my dad's a super intense, uh, very sort of just aggressive and like posture and physical demeanor. Like if he gave you his order, it mm-hmm. you know, from afar, it would look like he was challenging you to a fight. Right. Um, he just, he lunges at people when he talks Ugh. doesn't matter how benign what he's saying is he he appears from afar just to be an absolutely crazy person and so my dad's you know he's doing that and it's, it's just you know it's too much intensity and energy and we're driving out and my parents lived on the wooded sort of north side of town near like the border of Georgia mm-hmm. and Dave's, like, noticing, like, the town's starting to, like, kind of fade away. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, like, you know, this lot of just pine trees and stuff. Like, so, you know, where's the gym? And my dad's just going,
3: oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take
4: you it. I'll, you know, I'll show you. I got all your – I got all this equipment and stuff. I bought this from Louie. You know, I bought this off your website. And Dave's, you know, looking around, and houses are getting further and further away from each other. Streets just, you know, it's just falling off into woods. Right, right. And,
3: and he pulls there, up
4: yeah <laughs> right. and he, he pulls up to you know his house and he's talking and he just gets out of the car and he's still talking <laughs> dave doesn't understand what's going on because he said we're going to the gym right right and it's like august in florida it, i'm it. home i had like a friend over we're playing playstation i think my sister was having like Girl Scout meeting or something. There's a bunch of little, like, you know, 10-year-old girls running around. We had rabbits. We had dogs. Tons of cats, birds. Dave is had,
1: like, losing his mind at this point, I'm sure.
4: <laughs> well, he's he's still just sitting in the driveway, which is only, like, half finished. House built in the 80s, but they just never finished half the driveway.
0: But two monoliths.
4: And, yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean,
4: just, like, you know, oh, this is a nice house, but this driveway is, like, fucking half dirt. Like what's going on here? And uh, my dad comes back out and he's like, "You gonna come see it?" And Dave, I think at that time uh, was staying with us, oh and gosh. he he's he was confused and he gets out of the car and he's like, uh, "I guess." And he comes in and there's just all this chaos going on inside the house and my dad walks him into th- you know in past the Girl Scouts past me and my friends playing like Crash Bandicoot or something. And solid name drop. Yeah, goes in through the kitchen, through the laundry room, which again we had like 20 animals, <laughs> so the laundry room was just where they all shit. Oh my! And God. gets out into the garage, and the garage is—I mean, it's a ton of equipment. Yeah. And you could find like there's one of everything. You know, specialty bars chains, bands, there's everything there.
1: Most more but got the idea it's such for a everything in his gym that's how it was set up with last time I was there.
4: Yeah. But there's no space. So like it looks like a just a gym rat like Hoarder lives there. Because <laughs> there's not like it, you know, and you know, so like it, my dad gets in, flicks on the light and uh, I don't know if the light worked right at the time. Now you have to hit the light like 30 times because uh, there's two two light banks in it, oh, and they no. won't turn on simultaneously. Um, so you flick them on and off forever, and then finally they pop on. But so
1: – He's got to prime it. It's fine.
4: Yeah, so <laughs> Dave comes in, and he realizes, like, oh, shit, I need to ask this guy a whole lot more questions. <laughs> and then he's just worried, like, I've – I'm with a crazy person now. And meanwhile, Dave had like, you know, this was going to be a two day seminar. So like he sold tickets and stuff. There are people who are coming to attend this seminar in this quote unquote gym. Oh my gosh. And (laughs) Dave's just looking around like, holy shit, people have to like sit in here. Mm -hmm. And it's just, a it's a garage. There's no AC. This is Florida. Yep, And a tropical storm rolled in. So it was like August. It's 100 degrees. And, you, you know, all day is just alternating between do you open up the door, the garage door, and let some air in, but also have, you know, sideways rain and mosquitoes until you can't take that anymore. Then you put that down and then you talk for 30 minutes until it's 130 degrees and you have to air it back out.
1: I can imagine just the stench from all the people sitting in there
4: too. Um,
0: about how many people were at this seminar? Would you say?
4: Um, I think they ended up having twelve. <laughs> and nice. one guy came from. There's one guy who he deadlifted 700 pounds. A day. Wow. He came from Australia. What? His family? I think had had they had a, a trip to Disney planned, and then he heard about the uh, seminar, and. As one does, he goes. Well, that's in the same state.
3: Yeah, because Tallahassee
1: is like four and a half, five hours away from Orlando. Maybe further.
4: Uh, it's like three and a half to four.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, well now with traffic in Orlando, it could be about that. So.
4: Yeah. Well. Yeah. If you're coming from Disney. Yeah. Um, and you got to drive like north through the city. Then yeah, maybe it's maybe it's four or four and a half. But still. That's- um. <laughs> but so this guy just left his family and they went to Disney World, and he instead. Came up to, at the time, fairly rural uh, Northern Tallahassee and
3: sat in a guy's
4: garage. garage and paid money to do it. Um, oh, but after two days, Dave thought it was going to be disastrous, but everyone seemed to have, like enjoy it. Maybe because, you know, Florida, we have some questionable lifestyle practices and standards.
3: Y'all got some characters um, down there.
4: Yeah. So that, you know, it all seemed very routine and normal to us. Um, but at the end of it, Dave said, you know, like, well, why don't we do this again next year? And so he came back and held another seminar the following year. So wow. this was 2000 then 2001. Um, and then in 2004, Wendler was supposed to come down and do a seminar mm-hmm. and he got sick or something, or his wife had a baby. I don't know. Um, kind of same thing. yeah, same thing. And Uh, so Dave had to come down again, Mm -hmm. but, uh, after that first time, I think we got a hotel room every time, (laughs) um, tried to limit the, the out of seminar interaction. Yeah. That is just, we can can be overwhelming. Um, but yeah, so I just had this weird, like after that, you know, like my family followed, um, my dad being from Lake Forest, we were big, like Bulls and Bears fans Mm -hmm. I went to Cubs games and stuff when I would, like, go see my grandparents up there before they died. But uh, the sort of third team that we followed was, like, Mm Westside. So, you know, I'd come home from school, and my dad would be – I had a group of kids who would come train with me every day, and my dad would be telling me, you know, things that he read on some forum about Westside or –
0: Oh, yes. We've talked a lot about the old form days. Oh, yeah. Lift Go Heavy. Go
4: Heavy. Sorry, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, and then that continued, like, all the way through college and stuff. But when I started working on forks over knives, I would wear a a Westside hoodie. And, uh, of course, they had Nitro on the back Mm -hmm. and Nitro uh, on the the rear view shots. Mm -hmm. Um, Nitro is notably unneutered. And has uh, very uh, prominent, obtusely drawn balls,
3: <laughs> and
4: <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and at forks over knives, the office. Uh, it was a it was a one bedroom studio thing, mm-hmm. like an apartment right by the beach. Um, everyone else is sort of generally they were all older, but there's like six of us who worked in the office. It's all open air; you can see everybody. Uh, everyone else is on little laptops and we all sat on like uh big, uh inflatable exercise balls and stuff like mm-hmm. instead of chairs. But of so, yeah. So you would see me and I'm all of probably at the time, you know, 200 pounds and twice the size of everyone else in there. And one day, one of the producers of the movie who was like, a girl in her late twenties who was from Simi Valley, California, child of like hippies had never played an organized sport in her life. Um, had never had a gym membership, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, she asked me, you know, Michael, I, I, I've been meaning to ask you for months now. What's with the balls? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Um, cause th- most of the things that I wear, Attract some form of attention, and I, you know, don't have many things, so I forget what I'm wearing all the time. So I was just like, you know, what do you mean? And she's like, the dog on your hoodie. Why does it have, like, why did they draw fucking huge balls on it? And so I explain, and you know, say, well, it's from Westside Barbell. What's Westside? This is like 2009, 2010. Oh, let me tell (laughs) you. Yeah. So I start to tell her, and I'm like, oh, you know, sit down. So there's this you know, tiny goblin man. And he has <laughs> this you know, cadre of misfits. And, our, our lifting uh, Yoda, basically. Yeah. Um, and she's just listening and, um, her, from her facial expression, it, it looked a lot like someone watching tiger King. Yes. And yes. Um, in fact, like two years later, cause she would eventually quit forks of knives. And mm-hmm. she called me up and said, Hey, I just got this job at a, uh, reality development company. I said, oh, that's cool. And so we're talking and she says, you know, I have this thing that she said, I just did all these meetings and every network right now, this is in like 2013, maybe she's like every network right now is really like hurting for like male oriented reality content.
1: I swear if you were going to work on Tiger King, man, I might lose my
4: shit right now. (laughs) No. Although the, uh, the, what's his name? Doc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew about him and I had actually pitched, I hadn't talked to him, but I had pitched, I'd read an article about how he bred ligers. Yeah. And so I had pitched a a thing about, um, him, but it never, it never got up to the point of, um, of like contacting him, so I didn't know about like his harem and stuff, and I just knew like, yeah, there's this place in like the Carolinas where they breed ligers. Yeah, <laughs> I was like just, that would be cool.
1: So, like, so, would you agree that Louis Simmons is the Joe Exotic of
3: Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: there.
4: So I've just I've been watching that with my family, mm-hmm. and. I don't know how much you all know about, like, a lot of the things that went on behind the scenes of West Side vs. the World.
0: Oh, we're going to get to that. We have many questions about that. (laughs) Yeah, no. Okay. We don't know that much. We know a little bit. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
4: But, like, I worked with a guy who did fantasize openly all the fucking time about buying a tiger. And there's a lot of tiger people Mm -hmm. in this world.
3: Okay. Some have their tigers.
4: Some... Some don't. Um, and then, of course, there's Ed Cohn who had a tiger. It's true. He did. Um, what? Ed Cohn
1: had a tiger? How did I miss yeah. this? Really? He has, like, pictures up on his Instagram, like, from when he had, like, with his tiger. Okay. Yeah. We're going to have to delve yeah, back a, on that. We are, we are going to.
4: He had a tiger. Um, and I had another idea for a show around Ed and... Uh, Stuff like that, but I I didn't really go
1: anywhere with that either. But um, uh, (laughs) I I pull off into into segues, man. I apologize.
4: No, no problem. Um, But yeah. um, Yeah, there's so many parallels between like the powerlifting world and the tiger world, apparently.
0: Hmm. Um, oh, that could be a whole episode we could do. So I guess fun. I'll have to finally break down, and I don't have Netflix. I could have to, yeah, I'm have to steal Banes and watch this Tiger King documentary. Yeah, you got to.
4: Yeah, you do. So, so to, it's it's
0: wild.
1: It is. It's um, so many layers of white trash. Yeah,
3: but uh,
4: yeah, Louie I feel like that's a really simple. Like it's not really a one-to-one, but there's a lot of. You know, there's a lot of ways in which Louie is a Joe Exotic of, of powerlifting. Yeah. Uh,
0: so you're talking about your former Forks Over Knives colleague and reality TV. Oh yeah. yeah. How yeah. did that yeah, segue so then into your your West Side Versus the World film?
3: Um, well, she
4: uh, she said that you know she from these meetings and stuff and repeatedly being told that she had kind of told someone about West Side. or rather what she could remember. And they had liked it. So they'd asked if she could like get in touch with somebody who could put that together. And so she called me and basically offered me um, a a good sum of money to put together a reality pitch on Mm Westside. And I said, you know, at the time... Again, this is like 2013, maybe 2014. I didn't know. Um, I hadn't really followed powerlifting from like 2005 on. Okay. So the whole like explosion of raw, I didn't know about that. I still assumed that like, you know, powerlifting, if it was, if it had grown, everyone must be getting squat suits and bench shirts. Right. And that obviously like everyone would must love west side like you know all those characters and stuff like they must be the biggest thing if that sport grew right and so they asked me like you know could you get in touch with west side could you put together a a reality show and stuff and i called some people and um just trying to gauge the basic interest cuz i was like well from what i've heard and from what I remember, I don't think that they would be into a reality no, show. No, no. Yeah, and uh, so sure enough, yeah, that's what everyone told me. And from there, um, I don't take like no very well. Um, in many regards, um, sexual consent and other things like that, I'm fine. A no is. Thank you you for clarifying that.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
4: You know, unless I I feel like being from Florida, you like made
1: sure you had, you had put that in there. Oh,
4: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like to, I like to make sure that there's documented consent, um, you know, in my personal relations. But uh, beyond that, you know, if you, if you tell me something is hard, I kind of just get more like more intrigued by it, which, explains West Side versus the World and um, sort of yeah. what I've been trying to do with the WPO and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, the, taking the easy route isn't, it's not an appealing option for me. Um, so people kept telling me, and I, I talked to like Jim McDee a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, he was still doing all the stuff with Mark Bell and um, I talked to Chris Bell a little and he was like, dude, I shot with them for being stronger, faster. Yeah. Like they're the worst interview subjects you could possibly imagine. You know, interviewing Louie is, you know, impossible. He doesn't answer your questions. He just talks about whatever he wants to do. Blah, blah, blah. Goes off on and, stories. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, uh, though there is a, I have a system that works pretty well for Louie. Um, but it it necessitates that you have, a, you know, you have to have a great deal of time.
1: Um, that's that's a very fair statement. With it seems like a yeah. lot of like powerlifting, like Ernie, same thing. He goes off on yeah you know, I mean, stories.
0: And, I was trying to get like two things out of Ernie for a previous episode, and I mean, he's a little bit older, so it's difficult for him to recall things, anyways. But it yeah. was an hour conversation. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> but so that's yes, how we
4: did
1: things back then. We just talk, 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 and we figure it out later. <laughs>
4: yeah talk, talk, talk back, back back, and
1: you know
4: um, but uh, but so yeah, so I tell my dad, and at the time I was gonna work on this Bobby Bowden documentary, which mm-hmm. came out like 20 2017 or 2018 mm-hmm. finally came out, but uh, I had done some work on that starting in like 2013 and then through 2014, and then my dad um, just jumped the gun. And called Louis. Oh, so he would stayed in touch with Louis a little bit, and Louis didn't know like his name. Uh, I don't think that Louis like knows my name. Mm-hmm. He might know my name if you bring it up to him, mm-hmm. but he's not of his own volition going to remember my name. If he does, he's not going to say it right. Right.
0: Well, so you're not. You're works. not on the board, Michael. So yeah, it's true.
4: <laughs> Even if you are on the board, <laughs> um, <laughs> Ooh, yeah. your name and what comes out of Louie's mouth are not always, you know, there's, there's some twisting and some interpretation that has to be done sometimes. Um, that being said, he always knows like who he's talking about generally. Mm -hmm. Um, but he just, you know, that motherfucker with the camera, that's probably what he called me.
3: Um, Sounds about right. That
4: was good. That was a solid Louie. Oh, I, I've, I've done my fair share of Louis impressions. Oh, we'll we'll get Eric to do one at some point during this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, so my dad calls Louie, and they talk about whatever they were talking about. I don't know. My dad's probably pestering him about fucking kettlebells or vibration plates. And you know, he liked to call Louie and, like, argue with him. Um, and then he says, well, you know, Louie, my son makes documentaries. and He wants to do one on you. Mm-hmm. And Louie, I think, just, like, laughed at it and said, well, you know, have him give me a call. And my dad was like, great. You know, how about – you how know, about tomorrow? okay you know, when can you talk to him and so my dad sets up this call and then he calls me at like one in the morning nice. um, and I'm in l a Wow, and yeah, so your dad sounds about I as
0: intense as, as, as Louie, yeah
4: oh yeah, he is um he is uh Louie hates when people like say that he's like a father to them mm-hmm. Louie's not like a father to me in any way, but okay. he is a lot like my father
3: ah um which
4: is probably why I was able to eventually finish a movie, Um, because I was, I've been training for this forever. Um, But he, uh, so my dad calls me and says, you know, you gotta, I got you a meeting with Louie. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I hadn't even talked to him about the West Side movie for months, because again, I thought I was about to come back to Tallahassee to work on a Bobby Bowden movie. And there was like a paycheck with that. And you know Bobby wanted to be in a movie um and my dad goes well he's going to he's going to give you a call i go when he said nine and he go nine and he said yeah when he gets done when they get done working out he's going to go give you a call okay he said what time do they work out he says oh they work out at 7 i said wait a second columbus isn't like is the east coast time and he yeah. goes oh I'm like, I'm on West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one. Yeah, so
1: like, there are so t- <laughs> time zones.
4: Yeah, so I'm like, are you telling me Louie's going to call me in like four hours? And he's like, uh, I, I think. And I was like, all right. And so what am I supposed to talk to him about? And he's like Talk to him about making a documentary. It's like, okay, I kind of need more than that. Like, <laughs> I said, I don't have money to do it. I don't have... I don't I don't even know when I'd be able to do it. Right. But so I stay up all night and watch, you know, the YouTube videos I can find and stuff, and suddenly I find a whole bunch of people who now, at this point, didn't like West Side. Yeah. Um and uh find several people who are kind of at this interesting juncture where like they built a channel on liking West Side and then suddenly they didn't like West Side. And then suddenly they were just injured, and uh, now they—I don't know—do jujitsu or something. Right. Um, yeah,
0: that used to be the thing in the mid-2000s. Like lifters would be like, "Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to switch over to MMA now," or arm wrestling. Yeah. That was the other one.
4: Yeah, it's well, it's always, yeah. I gotta, I gotta back off. Uh, you know, I, that last, that last squat, or going into my last knee. I had this back thing or this hip thing that I never disclosed at any point in time before. Yep. Um, I powered through it and said how everything was great in last week's video. Uh, I bombed at my meat. And now, turns out, I've been lying for the last six months, so I say. And uh, going gonna to have an extended off-season, try rawr. some bodybuilding stuff. Rawr, rawr, and then like rawr. three months later... They've lost 20 pounds, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm doing jujitsu now. It's really important to have a balanced life.
1: Yeah. Really like grappling, like, you know. It's a really different mental game than powerlifting is. I really enjoy doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck out of here.
4: <laughs> anyway, but, <laughs> yeah. But so Louis calls me, and uh, you know, I, I see the three one four number come in, and
3: pick it up, and hello, and he goes, "Oh," and said, uh, <laughs> "Is this and go, Louis sends <laughs> <laughs> well, your dad must be
0: pretty convincing to get louie to just freaking call you the next day
3: yeah uh
4: it's a similar kind of crazy wavelength that they're on yeah. um my dad the last time that louie met my dad in person was when i brought my dad up in like 2018 mm-hmm. um for a screening and my dad just walks into west side at a new location that he had not been to, mm-hmm. he immediately walks in like he fucking owns the place, and he starts just talking to people. And of course, he knows who everyone is, and no one knows who he is. So he walks up to Louis, starts talking to Louis, starts referencing like recent, you know, doctoral papers and stuff from the Russians. Mm-hmm. And Louis said, like they just start talking, and Tom Barry, who's like Louis's right hand man, just good, mm-hmm. you know, Irish guy goes. Jesus, he's, you said it before, but he's, it's like a fucking carbon copy. <laughs>
3: and he said, I know,
4: right? Like, who if who Louis, like, yeah, like, if Louie's, like, shoulders and neck worked and he wasn't quite as strong, yeah, then he's six inches taller, like, they're the same person. And I, they're I feel talking, like I need
3: to now. <laughs> right, yeah.
4: Oh, he's, he's strange. Um... <laughs> he loves when I talk about him like this on, on podcasts.
1: Awesome. I cannot um, wait to, to put it everywhere. Does he, does he have an Instagram handle? Can we tag him in it? No, ah, he God. he's, he's un- much like Louie,
4: like the tech and social media stuff is, uh, all very new and scary to him. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, but, uh, they're talking for a while. And then my dad, Louie eventually like kind of, It's hard to like wear. Well, it it's impressive to see Louis when he's actually engaged Mm -hmm. and see someone else kind of wear him out. Oh wow! Yeah, Uh, he gets worn out a lot by just people that (laughs) do not stimulate him at all. And so it's you know he can't handle the performative like niceties. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's talking (laughs) to my dad. We call the
3: social skills.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but he's talking to my dad. My dad just like. It's like a dog on a bone. Like he's just, you know, like there's no satisfying wherever he's going. Jeez. And eventually Louis slips out and he comes back to the office and he starts talking to me. And then he goes to Tom. He's like, Tom, who is that guy? Where is he from? <laughs> and I start dying laughing because I know what he's talking about. And um, like that same day, like Paul Childress was there and stuff. And he, like Paul had come up to me and goes like, where the fuck is that guy from? Florida. And,
0: he's a Florida man.
4: <laughs> yeah, he's just, you know, my dad's walking around and he's talking to people that he's like, he keeps talking to people about fucking kettlebells. And he uh, <laughs> just goes, like, where's this guy from? And uh, I said, uh, I think he's from Florida. And he goes, Jesus, what school? <laughs> and they all thought that he was a coach just because of the way he was talking and stuff. And I was like, he's not from any school.
3: He's. Yeah. That's my dad. He's like, "That's your dad?"
1: Oh my god! What was what was <laughs> Louis' reaction when he figured out that when he connected the two?
3: Uh, I didn't
4: tell Louis. He's just like, <laughs> "Where's he from? What school?" And I want to I want to send him some stuff, and then like he's just like, "Man, can he talk?" And just and like later on, I was like, "Yeah, Lou, that's that's my
3: dad." And he, he was, oh, okay. Yeah, you know, we've talked before on the phone.
4: Said, so, yeah, yeah. Ah, like, oh, so that's who I'm talking to. I said, yeah. He said, well, it's not what I thought. That's gosh, that's so.
0: Great. So back to the phone call when Louis called you, yeah, back oh, in yeah. So 2015 Louis, or when it was.
4: Yeah, this is like 2014. So he called okay. me. I think it's it's right around like July third, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he calls me, and you know. Hello, Louie Simmons. And uh I said, hey, Louie, uh, nice to meet you. And he goes, so your dad tells me you want to make a documentary. And I said, uh, yeah, I wanted to. Uh, and he goes, well, before you get any further, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he called you to tell you no.
4: Called me at at to least. tell me no. 12 seconds in, no. And I go, uh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> And again, I think I'm about to go down to Florida in a couple of days, anyways, to work on, you know, a project about Bobby Bowden and FSU, and like I'm an FSU grad, and like that's my favorite college football team. So I'm like, I'm I'm fine. Like I don't need to make something on West Side or Louis. Like, right. There's some smoke I don't need. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't want that smoke. Right. But then a few days later, the financier of that movie would. uh just up and disappear and take off in the middle of the night to uh, Panama.
3: Um, Interesting. Yeah.
4: So again, there's tiger people everywhere. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this guy ever bought a tiger, but did his wife feed him to a tiger? Maybe (laughs) (laughs) no, he, for some reasons that he could not, uh, not elaborate on he just needed to leave the country immediately. He just come into a whole lot of money and he needed to need to go. So yeah, um
1: that is you're really interesting.
4: I'm really boring, but I have a nose for finding really strange people. Oh, um explains why you know what one day it'll get me killed and that'll make a great sound bite um we'll save that one yeah we're gonna hold on to that one <laughs> yeah hold on to that one yeah our
0: 105
4: <laughs> yes yeah. ear market for when the time comes and uh you know you you can either charge the producers for the clip or charge them by the second that's a good sound bite they'll want
1: yeah, please, please um, don't be like Kobe Bryant where it's like, I want to die young so everybody's like, please don't do that. <laughs>
4: no, no, <laughs> no, no. Anyway. I don't want to die. <laughs> uh, just odds are it'll happen. Yeah. Um, so if I leave enough cryptic statements, it'll be cool when it'll it be, does.
1: It'll be a great documentary. By the way, when this is all said and done, I have an idea for a great documentary in like 15 years, but we're just going to hold that for after we're done recording. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Eric <already> Garden <laughs> knows about it. <laughs> okay. But, uh, so
4: let's see. So, uh, Louie calls me, he tells me no. And then says, but what would you want to do? And so I kind of awkwardly start to say, well, this is what I would want to do. And he asked me a few questions about myself and stuff. and He chuckles a little and whatnot, but he tells me, you know, maybe half a dozen times in a 40 minute phone call. No. Mm
2: hmm.
4: And then, right at the end, he tells me, "Well, no. Um, but where do you live?" And I start to tell him, and he goes, uh, "I'm gonna hand it over to Christy. Tell her where you live." Okay. And says, "I want to send you some stuff." Says, "You know, how tall are you?" Said 6'3", three. And he's, he "How much do you weigh?" Said uh, like two ten maybe. Two eight. I don't know. And he goes, "No." You should be at least two seventy five. Ah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh and I'm like, I don't want to fucking be two seventy five. That's fire. that's gigantic.
1: First of all, and, sir.
4: <laughs> yeah. How tall and, are you man? Uh, I
1: am five foot eight and I weigh two seventy, thank you very much. <laughs>
4: yeah, well I I'm, I'm I was <laughs> two seventy one last night and two sixty eight this morning. Oh next we can hug that that's out after one. Yeah, that's after losing fourteen pounds in that's, the last month or so. Wow. So I I made it there. Um but when I started I thought, you know, that's insane.
0: But that's, so a couple days fair.
4: later, he uh he or right before he hanged up on me or handed the phone off, he asked me what size I wore. Mm-hmm. I said, like large? He said, No. Nah. I'm gonna send you double XL. So then You know, next day was July 4th. And then one or two days later, I get an 8 a.m. shipment, uh, rushed to my door, giant box. Mm -hmm. And it's got like 10 shirts and hoodies in it, and all the books and all the DVDs that he had ever written, all the DVDs that he had made that were, that they actually had on hand at Westside. Oh, wow. Um, And, and, you know, I get this huge, box and of course all the shirt sizes are 2XL right
3: of course. And, well, he told you.
4: <laughs> yeah he told me um, but he also told me no a bunch and he, when he told me that he was going to send me some stuff he said to give him a call in a few weeks so I get this you know, box and there's no note or anything it's just a whole bunch of shit mm-hmm. uh, all these books and stuff so next day we went out to Malibu me and my roommates I lived in a weird house with like four other guys because, you know, that's what you do if you're poor living in L.A. And we go out to Malibu and we sit out on the beach and I sit in the corner and read the whole day. Okay. And I read everything. Uh, I watch all the DVDs and stuff at least twice. And two weeks later, I call him and <laughs> he says no. No. But he starts, you know, he starts asking me more questions about my training background and stuff. And we start talking, and he starts talking about, you know, all the things that he doesn't like about football coaches,
3: mm-hmm.
4: all the things he doesn't like about people and the internet, and all, you know, all the things he doesn't like. He likes to tell you what he doesn't like. So, uh,
1: an old man likes to complain. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> yeah,
4: all right. So, uh. Now we talk for like an hour, and then he says, "Give me a call in a couple of weeks." So I reread a bunch of stuff, and I watch more interviews and stuff. I start watching stuff from him like daily, just mm-hmm. anything I can find. People talking about him, people criticizing his methods, or you know, criticizing his lifters or anything.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, he, you know, he's telling me to keep calling him. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, you know, he's he's he wants to say yes. On some level, he wants to say yes because I don't think he just wants, uh, you know, a new friend in his you know late twenties in Los Angeles.
0: More likely not. He's just testing you.
4: <laughs> yeah. So eventually, you know, every two weeks for about three months, this goes on. Every time the phone calls get, you know, five minutes and longer, ten minutes and longer, fifteen minutes long. Mm-hmm. Finally, three months in. And we've been on the phone for, uh, for three and a half hours. Damn. And, you know, when it started, it was light out where he was.
1: Mm-hmm. And when it
4: finished, it was dark where I was. Oh, damn. And I, uh, I said to him, you know, like I said, you know, Louie, I got, I got to go. I'm sorry. I got, you know, this dinner thing that I got to go to. And mm-hmm. He goes, well, when are we doing this again?
3: And, I said, uh, I don't know, and he said, because I can kind of see how this could happen. I said, Louie, let me just stop you there. Like,
4: here's what's happening, Mm Louie. He said, You're gonna keep probing me, and I'm gonna keep learning, and you're gonna keep feeling more and more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And eventually I'm gonna catch you on the right day where you're gonna say yes. And then I'm gonna George Costanza you. I'm just gonna take that yes and I'm gonna run with it and I'm not going to call you anymore after that. I'm just going to show up in Columbus. And I said, you know, like so, why don't we skip the, you know, 2 weeks or 6 months or whatever the phone tag is. I said I have no money. Mm-hmm. I, like I don't know how I'm going to do this. So, let's just skip right to the point where you say yes, I say great, and then I call you in a few months with a status update. And he laughed and said, okay. And I said, all right. All right. And then a couple of days later, he sent me a list of names. He said, you know, here's people who would be good to talk to. Hmm. And I started calling those people and doing pre-interviews with them. Um, and most of those people were like, you know, don't tell Louie that you talked to me. And I was like, well, why? And they're like, Because, you know, we, we haven't talked in years. or We're not on good terms. And I go, oh, well. That's weird. He's the one who gave me your number. And a couple times they were like, Louis has my number? <laughs> and at the, you know, I didn't understand how weird that was at the time. And now it's you know, it's crazy because it's like Louis doesn't like know his own phone number. Let he had like you know, somebody like Greg Panora's phone number.
1: Interesting. Especially considering how that exit went. Yeah.
4: But I didn't know that at the time, because that had happened. You know, I didn't know about like I knew that Chuck had left, mm-hmm. but I didn't know like the terms or I, you know, I I knew these people only as like characters and stories, you know, and the right. the versions of the stories that were like printed in Powerlifting USA, not like the not the
1: versions that like actually happened.
4: So yeah, so then, we, like yeah, a year later, people. I
1: he's got you, uh, you know, he, he's basically relented. And so he's, he's started you on the chase at this point. Yeah. And so
4: a year goes by the Bobby Bowden thing falls apart, then comes back together and mm-hmm. falls apart again. I work on some other, I work on a weird show about like cults and, you know, like I just kind of go on about my life and I tell all my friends, Hey, I'm going to make this movie about this, this weird like weightlifting cult in mm-hmm. Columbus, Ohio. And everyone just kind of, you know, like that's what most, you know, most guys who are struggling out in LA in their late twenties,
1: like <laughs> you, bouncing around between you,
4: jobs. You, you've all doing, got like, a script.
1: You've all got something you're ready to push.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. all Everyone is just walking around. <laughs> going, yeah. I got this thing, you know, you'll, you you run into like 87 dudes who all are like, yeah, I got this documentary idea. It's about homeless people. And just everyone's got a doc about homeless people. Oh my um,
3: well, none of, of them
4: yeah. ever go anywhere. They never progress. They're always just working on it. Um, I'll
1: put in a lot of hours but, at Starbucks, you know.
4: Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, well, I guess it. They're they're um, they're. They're real, like, undercover expose things. i like, oh, okay. working on this dock on homeless people. What does that mean? I'm about to lose everything. Ah, uh, I understand.
1: <laughs> so It's yeah. going gonna, gonna to live the life like, three years to see what happens.
4: <laughs> yeah. I'm couch surfing. That's what that means. Ah, got it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so a whole bunch of stuff happens from there. And around uh, Labor Day of 2015, I show up to, to shoot. And uh I meet Panora up there and Panora informs me at that point that he never made nice with Louis. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm taking you to West Side right now. You're telling me what was the last thing you said to Louis? The last thing I told him was you can suck my dick. I was like, <laughs> Y'all didn't have any come to Jesus after that? Like it's like, No, I'm 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 worried what he might do. Like Oh, great. So I'm going to bring you, and uh, maybe he'll he'll throw a weight at both of us. That'll be cool.
1: That'd be fun.
3: Um,
4: <laughs> project shut down again. All right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I got out there, and one of the first people that I see is, like, uh, Louie comes out, and he, he meets me in the parking lot. He asks if I need any help. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, no, I think I got it, and as I turn around and lift up all my bags, my camera stuff, I turn around and Louie has already he didn't even wait for a response. He just went right back in. Wow, so I set up the com or I set up the cameras and everything, I walk into the gym, and now if you know not that I'm big time or anything, but if you had a filmmaker who was gonna do a documentary on you mm-hmm. and you know, like, which I fully I anticipated
1: WPO spotter documentary at some point. But.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but if I showed up to like your place of work yeah, and you met me out in the parking lot, uh, I would assume, you know, if you're a normal person in any kind of regard, if you're, if you're like a human, right. Um, I would assume that like you would have told, you know, people, you know, you would have told like your family. Told somebody. Yeah, you would have told somebody. You would have told a coworker. You would have, you know, you'd told your boss or your immediate subordinates or something like, oh yeah, there's a there's a crew that's gonna follow me around today. Mm -hmm. Y'all don't be weird. You know, it's no big deal. Don't stare at the camera. You know, like you downplay it or you'd hype it up. One of the two. But you let people know there there would be some information passing. Yeah. So I assume that something like that had gone on. Like wrong. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I walk into the gym, and like Laura Phelps and her crew are there that day. Um, Sam Briggs and some CrossFitters are there because mm-hmm. it's, it's a holiday. Uh, Matt Brown and several UFC fighters are there. And then Hoff had just gotten like a shipment of gear. So he was there to pick up the gear, even though it was morning session and he was a night crew guy. So Ruh-roh. everyone. Was in there and then all the morning crew lifters at the time. There's like 40 fucking people in the gym. Jesus. It's the busiest day, the busiest non Arnold day I've ever seen in there. Mm -hmm. And it was the first day I was there. And Louis is just like straight up avoiding me. I walk in and, you know, I I figure like, oh, I'll I'll shoot like his sort of interactions with people and. um, Turn that camera off. Yeah. He just. If I go to the left side of the gym, he goes to the right. Mm-hmm. If, if I follow him to the right, he walks out in the parking lot. If I walk out in the parking lot, he walks back in the other side. <laughs> so he's literally like running from me around his gym. Um, and no one knows who I am, why I'm there. Um, there's a couple, there's a couple like coaches and visitors and stuff who are there as well, uh, which is a pretty common thing. And so everyone, you know, everyone just assumes, I guess, that I'm some weirdo YouTuber Mm -hmm. and like, I, I see, you know, I see Matt Brown and I walk up to him and he, uh, he turns around immediately and throws a punch at the lens and just catches it like right, you know, right before striking. And of course my head is in the camera, so I can't tell how far away that is. Right. And I'm just going, Oh shit, I might get hit. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen. And I like look up and he's like, just fucking with you, man. <laughs> and he kind of slaps me on the shoulder and then he flicks me off. And I believe I use that in the movie. Uh, yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, mm-hmm. no one says anything to me. And then I like, I walk up on Hoff mm-hmm. and like now me and Hoff are friends, but I see Hoff and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's Dave Hoff. All mm-hmm. right. I walk up, see what he's doing. And as I walk over, he just like turns around. I was like, God damn it, I feel like motherfuckers are in my treehouse trying to watch me like some goddamn zoo animal. Mm. And like <laughs> I'm like, all right, so maybe stay away from that guy for a while. And I I just kind of snake around. And then there's this one guy who comes up to me and is like super nice. Yeah. And he's like, hey man, what's your name? Uh Michael. I was, Oh, Michael, nice to meet you. So what are you doing? He's talking to me. And uh, I come to find out that, like, he's a new guy, and that's, like, his uh, – that was his, like, first day there on, like, a two-week trial. Okay. And uh, that later that day, I go and I do my first interview with Louis, and I say, what's that guy's name? And Louis says – uh, you no, know, he's from like North Carolina or something. I don't really, and Louie didn't know his name yet. Oh, and <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's uh what's your, what's your read on him? He goes, eh, I mean, I, I don't think he'll make it. <laughs> and yeah, I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And he was like, what do you think? And I said, I, yeah, I got the sense that he didn't fit in well with the group. He goes, really? <laughs> Why? And I said, well, no one else came up and said hi to me or asked me questions about myself. He said, he talked to me like he, he was my shadow.
3: <laughs> so he goes, yeah,
4: yeah, he won't make it. Jeez. So, and that guy was by Friday, that guy was gone. Um, no surprise. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally like two workouts. And then, and I believe it was, it was he who made the decision. So he'd gotten an apartment, moved sausage, out man. to Columbus, and then was like, ooh, the reality of this is not what I want.
0: Wow. Wow. That's that's crazy. That's intense. So how long were you there then filming and interviewing?
4: Um, I was there for close to a month in September of 2015. Um didn't really know you know, I didn't really know what the documentary was gonna be or what kind of direction it would go in. Um mm-hmm. uh, but after after meeting everybody and seeing kind of like, cause the gym was in, it was a pretty chaotic, um, structural time for them at that point. Like, Hoff was pretty beat up. Um, hadn't really, hadn't really gotten through a, like a full power meet since I think he'd went 3005. Laura had just retired. Um, Coker had like just come in. Mm hmm. But, of course, Coker was, like, oh, Coker was, at least the time that I knew him, was always kind of busted up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Luke Edwards was um, not really there at the time. I think he was on the mend from his, like, second kidney transplant. Um, Josh Connolly had just quit. Mm -hmm. Um, He's back now, but it was, like... It was a period like Billy Hawk had left, you know, there's, there was basically the whole, you know, there wasn't like a, they were trying to find a crew. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I went in thinking like, you know, okay, it'll be about this and this and we'll spotlight these people. And then, you know, I find these people mm-hmm. have all retired or are broken. Um, and so then I went back to Florida, worked on the Bobby Bowden thing for a couple of weeks, went back out to LA, uh, came back to Florida, I think again, and then found an investor. And, um, that gave me like the seed money to go back out to go back out to Columbus again in like February. And I was there from like February of 2016 through April. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Came back again to kind of finish it off in January of 2018. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. We screened the movie for the first time on March 1st, 2018, Mm -hmm. and did our last shoot on January 25th. Wow.
3: Yeah. So... so
4: Normally, you'd have like a year between those two time points, but...
1: So there's a lot that went into West Side vs. The World, obviously tons of research, you were able to you know, pull out a video together, obviously the editing portion you did very, very quickly. Uh, so from the time that you, you finished with the edit, you did the first screening, there was a lot of drama until it finally dropped like publicly. What Can can you talk about that? Can you talk about some of the people involved? I know it's a very loaded question. So, you know, is, is there anything you could share with us?
4: Yeah, let me, I'd have to kind of be careful with I, some of the things that I say.
1: Totally understand. Um, That's why I, I preface that with I know it's loaded.
4: Yeah. Um, things that are, I think things that are just a matter of public record. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lawsuit.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, We've talked a lot about those last few weeks. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I haven't listened to that last episode y'all did, but I uh, saw some of the posts. I think I know some of that.
0: It's, the, the, the two episodes we've last released are pretty interesting historical lawsuits, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, well, it was, a, it was a situation where. So at some point, a character entered the orbit of West Side. hmm. And. Um, everyone thought that this person had a certain set of credentials. Mm hmm. Um and I guess that's what everyone had been told for several years by the time I came around. Okay. And so
1: And I'm sure this person at, didn't dispute that.
4: Uh no, this person uh actively uh this was how they introduced themselves, this was, you know, what they reported that they were. Mm-hmm. Um but then I came to find out that those credentials actually belonged to an actual filmmaker who was at the time living in South uh, or uh, South Africa um, and happened to be from the same city and happened to have the same name, both first and last and happened to bear a passing resemblance. Um, So I believed that I was working with someone who, when they showed me their IMDb page it said, Hey, look, I missed this and this. Wow. And everyone at Westside seemed to also think that they were working with that person. And then I came to find that that person just happened to have the same name. Um And they happened to go out and get a South African Mastiff um, that further sort of confirmed some of the more elaborate. Yeah. So it was, you know, oh, I see, you know, like so you worked on these two, you know, diamond mine uh or diamond mine um documentaries in in South Africa. That was you know, what was that like? And then they tell you and yeah, I even got this dog. And they've got a two hundred pound, you know, pretty rare South African Mastiff. Right. And they're telling you all about their you know, everything that they've done and if you're looking at their IMDb history and you're like, well, this is the same person, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then, uh, and then their behavior just got weirder and weirder. And, um, at some point, uh, I sus- started to suspect that they were into some other activities that might have severe legal consequence. Okay. understood. um, <laughs> They swore up and down that they were not involved in those things. Well, I'm not going to ask mm-hmm. you how or where you get your money, um, but what I see and what you're doing don't add up. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point, um, you know, basically, there was a couple parties who had to sign off on everything mm-hmm. and without placing blame on anybody. One of the parties said, in order for our participation, it, we want you to use this guy. He seems to be a veteran filmmaker. I think part of it was also that, you know, like I'm a young guy in my, you know, mid twenties when this all starts.
1: Mm-hmm. And this person was like 40. And, and, and so the guy that we're referring to the, the supposed IMDB South African one. Yeah. Okay. Got it.
4: Um, he wasn't from South Africa. Neither of the people were. They were both from the same city in okay. Brazil, okay. but uh, yeah, he got a South African dog and told everyone he had worked on these projects and got it. Uh, that's what IMDb said. And so you think, you know, that's again a situation. This is a guy who I said fantasized openly about owning tigers all the time. Yeah, well, um, I'm the I asked if he said you have one, but, um. yeah, uh, so. Yeah, things you know, as as your typical Tiger people do, um, for very short periods of time, they're kind of able to hold things together,
2: mm-hmm.
4: be quite charming, and then as time goes on, um, documentaries are very long term intensive works, especially the way that I do them, where like you know, I I studied everything about West Side, everything about the lifting. Mm-hmm. And whether it had any relevance to the movie or not, I wanted to know, you know, I started lifting. I went back to, you know, using the West Side Split and everything. Mm-hmm. The same way that when I did Forks Over Knives, I ate that way and, you know, did all this research on that as well for stuff that wasn't in the movie. I, you know, I'm not on camera, and yet I'm doing all this stuff behind the scenes. Right. Um, you're, you're, you're fully engaged in the subject.
0: Yeah, you're living the, living the, the, the subject, really.
4: Yeah, um, yeah, it's like method filmmaking um, and uh, documentaries,
1: not exactly uh, good ways to get rich. Um, oh, we assume everybody the, who is behind the camera is independently wealthy and just throwing cash around. Right. <laughs> well, a lot of people seem to think that. Um, <laughs> lifter <or> math. <laughs> yes. That's a,
0: we, we talk about uh, that with, as a meat director, that there's lifter math where – lifters will take the number of lifters I have in a meet and multiply it by the entry fee and assume that's how much money is made. Yeah.
4: yeah. People, people <laughs> do that. Uh, even if say your meat is limited mm-hmm. to like 30, 15 30? to 30 people getting in. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So <laughs>
1: billions and billions and billions and billions.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> they can't tell you what they're selling or who's buying. Yeah, but they but tell you
1: stacks of cash everywhere. Yeah.
4: Everywhere. <laughs> Money just manifests. Um. But so yeah, all this stuff starts to happen. And then eventually it kind of comes to a head where um I confronted this person and uh they confirmed that they were not who they claimed to be. Um and we went over kind of what the options were, mm-hmm. and they wanted money, and I didn't have money. It was like i've been foregoing work for you know two and a half years at this point mm-hmm. yeah, i I don't have money um, and I said, "But what I can do is you know we made this arrangement, we made this contract when We thought that, you know, or at least these were the terms that I thought that we had made a contract around. I said, what I'm willing to do, because we're so deep into this and I'm still really excited about this project. um, Is that, you know, if you don't do anything to get in the way, don't do anything to harm the project. So basically, like you stay out of the way and you stay out of jail. Um, you know, we can move forward with, with the terms just as they are. Mm -hmm. I won't sue you Mm -hmm. and, uh, you'll get credit for things that you didn't do and you'll get paid for work that you never did. And we'll have absolutely as little contact as legally possible. Okay. So just give me a, you know, like your name will go in and you just give me an address. Mm -hmm. And then when the check comes, you'll get your cut. But that's, that's how we'll work. Okay. And, uh, after a weird kind of like week, uh, week long, um, game of chicken or hide and go seek or whatever the fuck it was in mm-hmm. Columbus, um, they finally agreed. And that's how things moved forward from there was that. I basically did everything and didn't put them on blast. Okay. And then uh, I got a phone call. Uh, Well, I started getting weird phone calls in early 2018 or really late 2017, but shit got really weird in January of 2018. Mm -hmm. And I started getting like threats and things that, you know, You know how someone calls you in the middle of the night, hopped up on what you can only presume is probably cocaine. And they start saying things to you that, yeah, yeah, they start saying things to you. They want things that, uh, you can't create or make happen Mm -hmm. because of logic and the universe. And, um, and and not existing sometimes or whatever, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so you go, okay, cool. So I'm going to just letting you know ahead of time, whenever you sober up, this is the reason your phone calls aren't being answered anymore is because, because of this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so they keep going and they eventually fill your inbox with things that could be used against them criminally later if you're so inclined. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so then I stop hearing things from this person okay. for a few days.
1: And I'm sure you're rejoicing.
4: E, well, sort of. <laughs> uh, Cause at this point I'm a week out from our screening and the theater is calling me every day and going like, Hey, we need those files because I was contractually supposed to forward the files ahead. Mm-hmm. But of course the movie wasn't done. And, uh, I had like just gotten Ron Perlman's narration <clears throat> and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it like less than two weeks before our first screening, all the, you know, I'm, I'm working like all night and all, you know, all day, all night. Mm-hmm. I'm delirious. Like, uh, you know, I got a stomach ulcer. I'm coughing up blood. It's a bad scene. And I'm trying to get this done. And I'm like, you know, this, this might not come together at all. Sure. And, um, then I started getting phone calls from other people who, uh, had contact with this my business partner or whatever it was at the time saying, you know, Hey, he's, he's calling and he's making weird threats. Um, is there anything you can mm-hmm. do about that? I'm like, I really don't, I don't even know where the guy is. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't seen him physically since 2016 and now we're in 2018. Right. And so I'm like, you know, like I, I really don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Apparently he's going to shoot and kill me. So, you know, who knows? Um, yeah, it's like all I know is I'm trying to get to Columbus to get this screening done and hope that no one, you know, like, revolts when the, when it starts playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then it's the, you know, like, we're like four days out. The theater is threatening to cancel because I'm not sending these files. Now, they had an FTP website. And so what I was doing every day, because I like, the movie wasn't done, so what I was doing every day was uploading a dummy file to their FTP mm-hmm. um, that was like the first 20 minutes of the movie, and then just black space for an hour. And when it would get, you know, like 10% uploaded, I would just yank my own cable out of the wall. Wow! So it interrupt the feed, and then the next morning they would call and say, "Hey, uh, I don't know what happened. Your your movie was uploading last night, and then this morning." It said that the upload timed out. Hmm. And I'm going, you know, oh, that's weird. Like, you know, I don't know what happened there. But, you know, we, are you sure we, your FTP is working? It, we ran
1: out of Internet. I
4: don't know, man. Yeah. I'm like, are you sure your, your FTP is working? Does someone, does someone like, switch it off at night or something? Sure. They're like, well, we don't know. And I, I say, well, how about this? I'll send, I'll send, uh, I'll bring a drive with me. I'm going to fly in the day before the screening. I'll bring a drive with me and we can convert, you know, like you tell me what format you need it in mm-hmm. and I'll make sure it's converted. And if it's not, then, cause also by this time, um, our three screenings were like 90 something percent sold out. And I think our opening screening was sold out.
1: Yeah. I, I believe I had tickets to one of them.
4: Yeah. So I was like, uh, and, you know, like I'm going to owe a whole lot of people money and I have to pay for this, whether it happens or not. And I, you know, and
1: these like, are generally big, strong, angry people.
4: Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just freaking out, and uh, you know, just simultaneously, my phone, I just like turn it on silent for days because I'm getting still weird, weird calls and threats and texts that don't make any sense, and they're mm-hmm. all coming like in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And then I get a call from Westside, and it's 48 hours before the screening,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and um. <laughs> I get a I get a call from Westside and they you know they ask me uh, if I've heard the news. I'm like well, you know what are you talking about? And he said about your partner. And I'm just thinking like oh great what did he do? Did he show up like and cause a scene or something? And I say dude it's the biggest story in all of Ohio. You know what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And this is I mean I'm supposed to fly out the next day to hand in the end of this movie, which I'm still working on. And I haven't slept for like 36 hours. I'm just like pounding back like energy drinks, which are gross, and I don't usually drink. Um, and
1: You just offended Mr. Bain. Yeah, you have no idea how mad I am right now. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but uh, they, they go on to tell me that, uh, that there's a story that's just been reported on the local news, and it's the lead story for the night, and it's the top-trending story, like, locally, that there was just an FBI bust of their children honking and making noise. Um, We're under a a lockdown order in Florida. That's how we do it.
1: Yeah, we're in Um, a location here somewhere, possibly in Illinois, maybe not.
4: Oh, I just assumed you all were using the... uh, the magic of technology to sound as though you're in the same place. Um
1: cannot confirm more than I.
4: <laughs> who knows when this was recorded? This is this was recorded months ago. We could
1: have done this before the Arnold got canceled.
4: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they cancel the Arnold? What are you talking um, about? <laughs> <Or> drugs. <laughs> That's a wild prognostication. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, so the FBI had apparently arrested my partner as he aided in the trafficking of um, drugs from one state to another. That's as wrong part wrong. Of a, uh, yeah. As part of a um, sort of uh, organized crime cabal of uh, highway patrolmen. What? Who were, yeah, it was, it was the highway patrol officers who were shipping the, the drugs, and they were it's like coordinating. Amazing. Yeah, they were coordinating their um, their like stations, so that the guys who were all in on it mm-hmm. would all they would you know all line up their schedules so that they'd have the same route from state to state. And then my partner, I guess, uh, I knew that he was a buffoon. Mm-hmm. And probably, you know, I I suspected he was selling weed to like, you know, kids about town. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he was moving like major amounts Push, from like
1: pushing major weight.
4: Yeah, he was pushing major weight from like Colorado to Ohio. Oh my gosh. Um, which I would then learn in a USA Today article that seemed to describe a person fitting his exact description, uh, though didn't use any names, just as I'm not doing now. Um, that this was quite a common practice. That the cartels would set up safe houses in Colorado where weed was recreationally legal mm-hmm. and would hide in plain sight and then would use, you know, mules to ship things in the dead of night with coordination and cooperation of, you know, certain law enforcement units. Uh, they were paying off to take it to places like Ohio where there was a bustling black market because those states were lagging in their use, uh, policies. Um, so yeah, so he got wrapped up in that. Wow. Um, and this is, you know, 48 hours. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there like listening to this over the phone, like about to have a heart attack. And so they're like, you know, do you have a lawyer? And I was like, "Like a criminal lawyer? (laughs) No, uh, I don't think so. And they're like, do your parents? I don't (laughs) I don't know. And they're like, well, you know, cause you might be you, you had accounts with this guy. <laughs> I was thinking, like, holy shit, like what am I what am I liable to here? Mm-hmm. What am I possibly exposed to? Right. And uh so then I try and feverishly finish the movie. Um I finish it in a fit where I was literally like crying because I was so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember it. I just remember that I got done told my girlfriend i exported the movie uh which takes like five hours itself um and doesn't usually work mm-hmm. uh with a giant you know file that has say you know one hundred and fifty thousand clips in it right from there you know all in various formats and stuff like the odds of it all smoothly exporting are about one in ten so i hit that right My my girlfriend wakes up, comes out. I tell her, like, okay, you got to watch this file because I haven't slept and I'm too nervous to. And if there's anything wrong with it, we're not boarding our plane to Ohio. And meanwhile, before she went to bed, I told her about all the FBI stuff. Right. um, And a little freaked out about that. And I was like, no, no, it'll be fine. It'll be great. Um And I like in my head, I'm just like, what's going to happen? Like, am I going to get off the plane? And like, there's just agents there waiting for me um, because I had a lot of. Yeah, I had had a lot of weird stuff happen and it turned out that I had been surveilled for a while. Um But Jeez. luckily, yeah, but luckily. um No one had ever or I hadn't had like, as I said, I hadn't really had contact with him for almost two years. Because I had found out that he wasn't who he who he said he was, right? Uh, but I didn't know what else he was doing, and I didn't think that you know I didn't give him credit for possibly being able to be involved in something that big.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, trust me, I, I do logistics, and that is very intricate logistics.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh. You know, of course, because. Much like, you know, Tiger King, you see what kind of people get involved in uh. wild, you know, criminal activity like that. and You realize, like, oh, they're not the smartest. And no. they leave clues and trails and they get themselves all kind of, you know, fucked up. So that all happens. I come back from getting a haircut as I do. My girlfriend is watching the movie, which I had not watched front to back mm-hmm. because. That would have taken an hour at the time, an hour and fifty something minutes, and I didn't have that much time. So I was just like, make an edit, watch like 15 seconds, and go like, yeah, I think in the greater scheme of things that'll work. But normally, you know, you would watch a movie front to back many, many times, like sure. pages of notes, right, you're and right. then go back, yeah, because um, you want to you want to realize, especially in the frantic manner that I was doing it like did I spend 18 minutes in the middle like making one point just hammering it over the fucking head that like didn't need to be made at all um and luckily I hadn't really done that though I had done that like on other projects before and you you know you catch it and you're like oh yeah that's not important at all we should just take that out um but so the first time I watched it front to back was when we got to the movie theater
3: so the, and it was the with, first
4: time the screening was my first time. Oh, that's adorable. And wow. no, it's horrible. That's the worst. <laughs> that is the worst. you can you don't feel any enjoyment at all.
0: You're just worried the whole time. Because you're just waiting for yeah. like the reel
1: to screw up or like suddenly yeah. like, just the sound to be off or whatever.
4: Yeah, I'm like yeah, exactly. You're like, what if the sound just slips like three frames? Oh jeez. And then, you know, like just the, the voices in the mouth aren't <sighs> You know, like any kind of thing. Could have. I mean, I hadn't slept for days, literal right. days. Right.
1: So I'm like... So like, I there's... have to give you credit for that. Like the movie was was awesome. Like it keeps my attention. And even, like, even my children, my wife watched it for the first time, the last time I watched it. And like, this is mm-hmm. like, you have possibly the most boring hobby ever, but this is really interesting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and not only that, you took, a, you know, a somewhat obscure, you know a uh, cultish yeah. underground powerlifting gym in Ohio and made a whole not just about the sport but about just that gym right
1: yeah so, so well, i got was, i got to give you credit for that with in your in your insomniac state at that point that was very well put together
4: yeah it would it had it had some you know high points it it definitely the uh the version that's like on Netflix is you know again it's almost half an hour shorter um and it's I mean, there's probably somewhere around like eleven 1, hundred edits that were made between the first screening and that one.
0: Oh, okay. Um, is the one on Netflix yeah. the same one you had emailed out to everybody, or is that a slightly different cut that's on Netflix?
4: No, that's the same one. okay. I've had several people tell me that like well, why wasn't this in it and stuff I mean, that's not in that's not in any cut there's those things don't exist, just period. We we needed um, need
1: the director's cut
4: though. I need I need
0: the original. Yeah, we need the two hour plus <laughs> <Yes>. original. <laughs>
4: well, at one point it's like a seven hour thing.
0: I'm okay with that too. Which, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, that,
1: L- Louis, that Xander, Let's go. Of,
4: yeah. Well, I, that you know that is ultimately how I, like really would have wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and people have asked like you know about sequels or part twos and stuff, and you know there's there hasn't been enough that's happened to West side since then. But, um, if, if there were to be something else, that's what, uh, I would at least want it to be, would be like a, a six part, you know, expanded series that basically like had room to, you know, have a whole episode on like Matt Demel. have a whole episode on, uh, you know, kind of how it shaped the
1: world of sports and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of go down the rabbit hole of you know the different personalities, or you know, like we did with the the lawsuits that you know fragmented the sport, or you know, really led to this revolution and evolution of the you know different lifting equipment, that kind of thing. Yeah,
4: at the end of the day, it ends up yeah, it ends up kind of just being that kind of introductory and primer mm-hmm. piece that you know, uh, just like with forks over knives, you know, they, um, with that movie, which I got no you know, I got no back end or anything. I only got like paid for the time I was there. And I thought like, it'll never make any money. So what does it matter? Um, it made a shitload of money and it still does. Um, but like that movie was also, it was just a, a sort of jumping off point. And then they came out with all these books and stuff. And um, obviously I can't really write books on West side. Uh, Cause uh, Louis, Louis. Already done it. <laughs> <laughs> well Louie's already done it, but also uh, there are people who would who are employed to make sure that other people aren't doing that. Yeah,
0: of course. Um so let's so, let's switch gears a little bit, Michael. Um how did all of this, this powerlifting documentary and getting to know all of the the people involved, how did that eventually lead to you getting involved in the WPO?
4: Um it really goes to uh it really goes to, like, Hoff. Sure. Um, Hoff was um, – Hoff's about my age. He's a little younger than me. Um, but he's about my age. And while we are making the movie, um, you know, there's the part where he talks about, you know, it took four years to, to put five pounds on his total. Sure. Well, it took about four years for me to make the movie. Right. Um, and – you know, Hoff had 3,005, I had done Forks Over Knives and I had, you know, done all this other stuff that very early on made me think like, you know, oh, I'm going to be like real successful. And, and, you know, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to be the next dude that like my, you know, old teachers and stuff will talk about. And I had a lot of early success and then, you know, just hit kind of a, a point where, A couple projects fell apart, you know, and all of a sudden you get you kind of get tossed out into this weird cycle where you're unemployed, but none of the new projects are hiring. And now, you know, like you're just um, filmmaking stuff is just it's a highly political team sport. And so you need this network of people. And if you kind of fall away from the right network you know, suddenly the, the well of opportunities dries up. Sure. Then I was, you know, likewise at the same time off going through the the point of, you know, he was the king of the sport and the sport, you know, went through massive changes and, you know, whether it was Louie or other people around the gym, you know, like guys were already talking about, he was done. And, And, you know, like he won't, he won't ever get back to 3000 again. Hmm. And so, like, I kind of empathize with that idea of like being so young, you know, everyone feeling like you're on that right path and everyone else kind of acting like you're on that right path. And then, you know, just, you know, you, you miss a bad break or in Off's case, you know, like you have a, some issues with your, your hip or just wear and tear or, you know, you, you find yourself back in that point where like, feels like, you know, okay, the stakes are on now, like I need to re- I need to reprove myself. And with Hoff it was, you know, I, I think additionally that idea that like this movie's coming around right at the time where he's trying to get back on the horse. Sure. You know, like he's he I think felt like he needed to make something happen before the chapter was closed on that movie. Right. And
3: Bill, the luckily department. like
4: for me he did. Um but we uh so we became like closer and you know developed like a friendship around the sort of end of the movie mm-hmm. um, I came up to Nationals in Jacksonville yep I was there um, yeah, and uh, you know it's the it's the beginning of the movie, but it was also right around that time Hoff starts telling me you know hey the the WPO's coming back mm-hmm. and he puts me in touch with Wayne, He introduces me to Wayne and stuff. And I didn't think anything of it. You know, I had no, I had no plans for any of that. Um, but, uh, I think the wheels were turning in Hoff's head that he knew, um, cause I had talked to Louie a lot about like, you know, what is the sport missing? Mm-hmm. What, what does specifically like what happened to geared powerlifting? And Louis said things like, you know, well, someone like you came along, you know, I believe that you could get on, on ESPN and you just need someone like you who knows, you know, what the interesting things are about the sport. And I think that if you explain it the right way, it's very fascinating stuff. And for all of the, mm-hmm. you know, sort of flack that Louis gets, I largely agreed with him mm-hmm. on a lot of his sort of takes and notes on the sport. Um, And... I was looking at it going, you know, like it's kind of amazing that no one has tried to do that. And then I find out, Oh, tons of people have been trying, but they were all trying with like raw. Mm, sure. And there's a lot of issues and a lot of politics with the raw side of the sport. Um, if you were to try and develop it into something, but
0: well, there's plenty again, of politics on the multiply side as well. Yeah, Let me tell that. you that there is.
4: <laughs> oh yeah. I'm we up, have a right whole episode on that. <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot of politics and there's a lot of people who are apparently in charge of a lot of things. Um, a lot of things that supposedly I'm in charge of. You know, he he introduces me to Wayne and then Wayne introduced me to
0: um and this was, Wayne introduced me to Rick. This was twenty seventeen APF Nationals in Jacksonville. Yeah. That Wayne Pullum ran. Just for clarity.
4: Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, it still, you know, it was, Hoff was, you know, asking me like, what would it take? What would it take? What would have to happen? Mm -hmm. And I was just saying, you know, like as someone who's worked in sports media, like you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. And he's going, well, could you do that? And I, well, I could do, I could do any number of these things, but I can't just of my own volition do, you know, any of it. Right, so it takes um,
1: interest, money, it takes it takes a lot of things, a lot of wheels turning for this all to happen.
4: Yeah, it takes a lot of people moving in the same direction. Right. And I didn't know any of those people. All I knew at the time was just the people who were at Westside. Mm-hmm. And Westside was at this point where they were increasingly less and less connected to even the rest of Multiply. Right. So I, you know, I'm just existing in this tiny little bubble within a tiny little bubble. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, I know how to tell this story in a way that people want to hear it and see it and stuff. But even at that mm-hmm. time, I hadn't done, I hadn't even been to that many, like, multiply meets. Right.
0: To be I'd fair, just there was like a couple. There wasn't a lot of them
4: at
1: that point, to no. be fair. No, you had a few people sprinkled right. that or multiply it each meet.
4: Yeah. Um, but even like being up in Columbus all that time and stuff, like, I, like, I went to a meet that Dave ran. Mm-hmm. And you know, like spent, uh, you know, half a day watching a meet that was almost all multiply. Right. Um, but, uh, and with my own lifting and stuff, I didn't own any gear at the time. And I was in terms of what I followed within the sport, it was mostly raw lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just didn't, especially cause at that point in time, like Westside didn't really, they were in a transition point. So they didn't have anybody who was really doing anything. Right. And so there was like just nothing really to follow outside of Dave. And Dave was still just like trying to get kind of healthy enough to finish. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I go to the, the meet in Jacksonville and got to see, you know, a meet and it wasn't, you know, it was, mostly geared guys that day and it was um it was the first time i really like was just at a meet all day start to finish and i met doug heath and things and sure just hung out with uh sort of expanded my circle a little more to some people who weren't um directly within the sort of columbus contingent of multiply you know current and former west siders um and, um, yeah, then Wayne introduces me to Rick mm-hmm. and you're saying Rick, I find
0: Rick Lawrence,
4: Rick Lawrence. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I find that Rick has a storage locker full of old WPO tapes
0: from Karen Kidder
4: mm-hmm. from Karen. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: it was Karen, all of Karen's stuff that Rick basically kind of inherited for the APF. Yeah.
4: Right. Um, but so, um, so I don't know if it was Wayne or Rick who reached out to me, but, um, they reached out to me saying, you know, like, well, could you do anything with any of this and just take a look at it and stuff? So, and at the time, again, no one's talking about the WPO, Mm -hmm. um,
0: but at that meet, Wayne had announced it was going to come back in 20 right but
4: I'm, I'm saying no one's talking to me about
0: it sure sure understood
4: um they're just saying you know like well can you could you you know figure out what's going on with this footage because it's on huge beta tapes and stuff oh. and so yeah it's so huge beta tapes that are in all these boxes so i drive over to uh um what is it he lived in rick's gym was in the is it spring hill
3: uh, I'm not um, sure.
4: Yeah, I can't remember I wanna, where it was. I want to say it's like Spring Hill. It's where my cousin, who is also the animator, okay, they, they lived like they're right down the street from one another. So I went over there and picked up all this stuff, and then I started trying to find uh, people who had those beta tapes or the the big VCRs that could handle the beta tapes mm-hmm. across Florida. And it turned out there were very few of them, and everyone only had one of them. And this is now like December of December of 2017, and I have 120 tapes. Jeez, wow! And I don't know how long they are, but they appear to mostly be 60 and 90 minute tapes. And I have no idea what's on them; they're not clearly labeled. Why would Um, they be? Right. So you know, well, you know, I need to get these things pumped out. So I started outsourcing all the jobs to people all across central Florida. Mm-hmm. And so every day I'd drive, you know, to one side of Orlando and then I'd drive an hour and a half north to another little place that, you know, some guy who just happened to have a, a VCR like that. And then I drive an hour south. And so I was just making these big loops and picking up VCR, or picking up hard drives and dropping off tapes mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks, trying to get enough of these things done that I could then go back and scrub through them real quick, you know, watch them on like 20 times speed and just see like what are on these tapes, you know, and that's where all the WPO footage in the movie came from and found, you know, a couple thousand photos and stuff that, uh, had relatively survived. And my girlfriend scanned all those. And, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, then from there, I started talking to Wayne a little bit, and I went and dropped off all the tapes and stuff with him eventually. Um, I think he'd come down for, like, a site inspection um, at the B, and so I dropped some stuff off to him, and we started talking more about, you know, the, the WPO. And I, th- I think what really kept it going in between was Hoff just kept saying, you know, like, well, what what could you do? And if this happened, would you want to do it? He's kind of and, paying,
1: like painting the picture of everybody like this is what it could be possibly.
4: Yeah. Hoff was he he bought into the idea of what the WPO could be. And then was, I think, just trying to get us all like in the same room and, you know, all heard, thinking heard, about it. Yeah, he was just, I think, trying to see if, like, if he could set up the scenario, would things materialize?
0: Well, um, and the way Hoff tells it, uh, he said that it was down at 2016 WPC Worlds in Louisiana that he sat down with Wayne for, like, two hours and just kind of bombasted him until Wayne agreed to restart the <laughs> WPO. <laughs>
1: Buy and get it going again.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's the, I think that's the, pretty much the version of events that I've heard from Hoff. But that was before he even started, you know, trying to get me involved. Sure. So, um, he did a lot of, yeah, a lot of producing, um, to try and, try and just line things up. Um, and then, so then I went out and, I'd, I met with Wayne and it pulled out like a notepad and kind of sketched out like, you know, okay, here's how sporting events kind of work. Mm-hmm. The world of just producing a sports event. I said, so if you were, you know, I, I said, if you were football, here's how it would work. If you were MMA, here's how it would work. Uh Here's what CrossFit did. And here's, you know, if I were you and I wanted to bring this back, here's what I would do, um, which is kind of what like I kind of run through those type of steps for a lot of people on a lot of different projects. I just insert myself into their situation and say, here's what I should do or here's what I would do. You know, you do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Wayne was, um, really to like my surprise, Wayne was, uh, kind of on board with, you know, most everything that I threw out and, um, I'm not really, I can't really even remember like how I transitioned from like being a guy saying, well, you could do this or you could do this to being involved.
3: Okay, just kind of, um, just kind
4: of organically, just materialized, basically. Yeah. Um,
0: well, because you were definitely yeah. there down at WPC World slash the first new WPO Superfinals in Florida in 2018, and you were filming, I believe.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I think that's what happened. Was, um, again, so this is like t- late 2017. Um around that time my partner, again, this is just before I find out quite what he's been up to for the last year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And he's already given me some inklings that like he's probably gonna be a problem for me yeah. moving forward. Oh and, little, little did we all know. Yeah. Um and uh so I I think around then I start having the idea of well can't really make a sequel because that's generally what you would do if you if you you know it's like it's like striking gold you know mm-hmm. you dig in a bunch of different areas if you hit you hit a vein of gold then you hone in and you dig around where you found it and you keep digging until you stop finding it
3: right sure
1: so why, why the big movie franchise?
4: right so uh even with documentaries that's typically how it goes the hardest part is finding something that people want And by then, you know, we had the Kickstarter um, and all this other, you know, our social media presence for a movie Mm -hmm. was like backwards, you know, like you usually don't have many people who follow you at all until you put it out. And then your numbers boom. We had pretty big numbers, you know, and there was no movie. So,
0: yeah, I think just the trailer itself got people hooked.
4: Oh, yeah. People were like, yeah, fired the fuck up for this thing. Yeah. So so I was like, well, the hard part is finding people who are into this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, finding wallets basically. Yes. So it's like, so we found wallets. So, what's something else we can sell to these people once we're done and something that hopefully won't take 4 years. <laughs> right. Um so
3: we'll see on that.
4: Where, Yeah. <laughs> um something that won't take 4 years and something where I, you know, will work with someone who I know that they're someone who they claim to be and that, you know, I I'd like work with, you know, some actual professionals or just work alone and be unencumbered and not have to hire an army of lawyers or worry about, you know, losing everything in the dead of night because someone wanted to go play Scarface.
1: I I can tell and you I am not going to call you at midnight or two in the morning and threaten to kill you or be high on cocaine. So you have that at <laughs> least. Michael. Well, to be
0: fair, nor will Wayne pull him. No, he will not. <laughs> no. Well,
4: Wayne Wayne has called me many times late at night. Well, he'll um, call you in the middle of the night. Yeah, yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, they're they're very calm phone calls though. Right. Um, very long but very calm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But so. Yeah, so then one of the things that we talked about was uh, um, like the CrossFit route. Mm -hmm. So CrossFit, they made two documentaries. Okay. Then they got on ESPN, Hmm. and they made the jump from ESPN 3 to ESPN 2. And, you know, it it took them— it took them basically like four and a half years and about, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 million. But I said, you know, okay. So I said, their documentaries though, didn't really go anywhere. Um, they were like proof of concept, but they didn't, you know, like their basically the model that they used to distribute and hype up their documentaries. I was like, I think we could do better than that. Um, and this is close enough. That maybe this could sort of serve, you know. Maybe if people like West Side versus the world, maybe they'd like this as well. Mm-hmm. We can kind of carry forward, you know. Then Hoff starts to get healthy. I was like, well, especially if Hoff is healthy now, you know, yeah. like it's, you know, working with Louis. Louis didn't want to be filmed. You know, everything was a, a struggle with Louie. Hoff likes the camera. So I was like, you know, if I find Hoff Definitely. and some other people. Yes, <laughs> yes he does. <laughs> uh,
0: it, it's interesting because yes, when I first saw West Side versus the world, the first few scenes, I figured it was going to be the Dave Hoff movie almost because he right. he stood out as a star in the beginning, and it seems like you know it, it clearly became a Louis movie because West Side is Louis, but he, yeah. he definitely stood out at that beginning part of the movie.
3: At the end too, yeah,
0: yeah,
4: yeah. But he, uh, you know, and, I, and again by that point, you know, I had a, a rapport with him, and we were friends, and um. So, you know, like, I had the idea, like, what if we did almost like a pumping iron, but instead of, you know, Arnold and Ferrigno and, um, what was it, Katzen or... Uh, I don't think Katzen was in there, but you had Arnold, you had Lou Ferrigno, you had Frank Not Clubhouse. Kaz, but, uh, there was some... There was a dude Katzenberg? that they, like, played Katzenberg, yeah. yeah. Um... But yeah, I was like, you know, what if we do basically that only instead of the backdrop being the Olympia, mm-hmm. we make the backdrop, the WPO. Yeah. I said, so that's, you know, this is the competition that brings the, all their storylines back together. And now you just go into these different characters. Right. Sure. And, uh, and and they I are said, characters. yeah. And I said, and then, you know, the, for the purposes of the WPO, this would, you know, this would, you know, maybe bring some publicity and stuff. So, um, that's, I guess how I got started with it was, you know, basically like, what if I just make a movie sort of on the people involved Mm -hmm. in the, you know, some of the, the competitors and, uh, along that way, um, there were more conversations about like, you know, well, what would look good on camera? And I was like, well, don't really worry about that. Like just, just, you know, make the, make it good for, for the lifters and make it, make it a good competition. I said, I, you know, it can look like shit and I'll make it look good on my end.
3: Sure.
1: So then, so um, so that's actually, that's a good segue too, because then obviously as WPO has evolved, you know, we have 2018, uh, you know, it makes the comeback. It rises in the ashes, uh, you know, seventeen hour long meet, and oh you know, my god, sixty. <laughs> yeah, I was there. Whatever it was, till the better end. Yeah, and then then comes to the super finals in twenty nineteen, and of course, was it like March? We get the big announcement that ESPN is going to be there. How did that happen? Um, that so
4: I want to say it was September, uh September of twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. Somebody at ESPN called me up. Mm-hmm and said i need to produce some some content that uh is some sort of sport that's indoors mm-hmm. preferably events based mm-hmm. um with one uh, one competitor at a time if we can get away with it that would need no more than a four camera setup and I said, well, how big of a playing surface do you want? And they said, the smaller the better. And I said, would 12 by 12 be too small?
1: It's like they are describing they said, powerlifting like right to you.
4: <laughs> right. Wow. And then I said, well, how about powerlifting? And they said, Oh, no, no, we don't, we don't want to do powerlifting. And I said, No, this is this is a different type of powerlifting. This is this is weird. This is crazy powerlifting. Mm-hmm. And so then I sent them some uh some stuff around the movie. I sent him the trailer. I sent him some things to, you know, kind of show what it was. And the guy, uh, this is a guy that I'd known since college. And he said, you know, like, well, when, when is this thing happening? When, like, how does this work? And I said, well, you know, how about this? Come on down to, to Florida. Mm-hmm. I'll put you up at, you know, this relatively nice hotel by Disney. Mm-hmm. And he's from Florida originally. So, you know, I could, couldn't really oversell the bee, but,
1: yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't wow him with the, on the Disney property, the bee resort. All right. Yeah.
4: Um, but, uh, I said, well, come on down. And he came down. So a producer from ESPN was there mm-hmm. and he was weary that it was going to be powerlifting as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, which ESPN, uh, <laughs> every time I talk to them says, Powerlifting is boring and too mainstream. Mm-hmm. Too mainstream. What? This is for <laughs> years now. Too mainstream. Wrong. Said everyone in. No, no, you're wrong. They said everyone in our office does powerlifting. There's nothing interesting about powerlifting. What? Everyone does it. <laughs> said everyone does it. He says every. I feel like there's a punchline coming somewhere. Like, what? <laughs> no, that's the that's the reality of it. Huh. How many sports have a greater amateur uh,
1: participation than powerlifting in so, the U.S.? So, th- so this okay. So this is one of the topics that we've covered. Is are you a powerlifter? If you haven't competed though, just because you do the right. movements is you're a powerlifter. Right, right. Oh, I'm not talking about the people who've done the movements. So these are people that work for ESPN that actually have done meets. Yeah. Huh. This, you've I've, got you've I've, got, I've got learned, roughly.
3: I found something new.
4: Yeah, you've got I mean in the state of Texas alone you've got, you know, 25 to 30,000 high schoolers who do meets every year. So that's fair.
1: I I'll, I can't appreciate got, that.
4: Yeah, and then, you know, you, you go okay, according to open powerlifting, you have somewhere between say 100,000 and 123,000 mm-hmm. uh who compete annually. That number would have risen had it not been for uh coronavirus. Right.
3: Um coronavirus <laughs>
4: but you know you think about like how many how many sports have that kind of participation it's fair you know crossfit i think crossfit the most recent numbers i saw were they were like 12,000 people had of come lifting. Hmm. you know like it's you know then yeah then go how many people are buying you know Gym memberships and everything are at like all-time highs right now. Right. Sure. Well, well pre- not pre- pre- right much. now. But
0: yeah, right. Yeah. In general.
4: But, yeah. And the types of gyms that are getting more action are gyms that are more performance-related. It's, it's you know, West Side versus the World debuted number five on Netflix yeah. of all properties. Take that, USAPL. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly, but the USAPL is an explicitly amateur federation. Fuck them. Anyway. For many reasons. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can be that. Uh, you sh- shouldn't try and be that and also be the premier platform for the best lifters in the world. I don't think that that's a smart move. Um, I will agree one million percent. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's a shame that, you know, some really great lifters are like trapped over there. Um, yep, because that's
0: we just talked about that. Because
4: <laughs> <yeah. laughs> the sports for the 2000 was it for the 2032 Olympics have already been turned in, mm-hmm. and powerlifting is not on that list. So if you are say squatting a thousand pounds today, in uh, even in single ply, mm-hmm. I hope you're planning on sticking around at least until 2036.
1: Feel like so it's you one can individual be, specifically, and I really hope that <laughs> yeah, you're correct. They do stick around,
4: right? Um, well, and they better go raw because you know it'll be if it ever makes the Olympics, it'll be modeled just after um, Olympic weightlifting, yeah, which is 14 um, divisions, seven men, seven women, and each country is only allowed to send uh, what is it, four competitors? I don't know. Men, four men, four women. So if you think about, you know, if you're the best, say, the best super heavyweight in any weight class, doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, raw, single ply, doesn't matter if you're the number one in either one of those. Doesn't matter because they only get to send four people. So if you're number one in one of those, but they've also got the number one in... You know, for less competitive weight classes, Mm -hmm. they're not even going to send you. doesn't matter if you're the best there's ever been. You won't get sent because they're going to try and stack up the golds. Yep. But again, they're not going to have single ply. It's only going to be raw. But uh, the IOC doesn't care about any of that. They care about two things primarily. This is what has screwed the USAPL over. And they've been informed of this by the IOC many times before, uh, including the last time that they actually submitted, mm-hmm. which was I think 2012. They haven't submitted to even be in the Olympics since then. Um, no one wants to talk about that.
3: Yeah, you yeah. um, know.
4: But the IOC, they're you know, it only takes an average of two years to lobby and actually get added to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So if your sports has been lobbying for 46 years, um. then they're lying to you because no one has been lobbying for 46 years. What, but anyways.
0: You said there was two things that the IOC is looking for?
4: Yeah. Two things. Um, entertainment value.
0: And kickbacks. Got it. <laughs>
4: I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding, Michael. <laughs> no. That, that goes without saying. Um, so the other two things. Um, but entertainment value. Mm-hmm. Are you going to draw ratings if they put a camera on you? If they can't put a camera on you and draw ratings, if you can't hold a captive audience, then they, they don't want you regardless of what you're going to do. That's why like the X games is, you know, making it into the winter and summer Olympics.
1: But that's why cross country skiing is never on camera except for the finish line. Right. And that's why they're on the verge
4: of getting dropped every year. But, um, the other thing, you know, think about, think about the Olympics you know, you, you see time and time again, how, you know, everyone gets caught cheating and everything. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, yeah,
4: you ain't cheating. You ain't trying. I, (laughs) I have no problems, you know, personally with, you know, I always say if Usain Bolt could run a nine, three on steroids, and we want to pretend that he's not on everything that he can possibly get away with, But if he was completely clean and ran a nine five nine, then I'm pissed off because that means that with a little, you know, scientific aid, we could have seen a nine three in our lifetime. And instead, I'll probably die without ever seeing one. And that's a crime. And I should get to hit someone for that. But um, beyond that, um, where are the strongest lifters in the world? Strongest lifters in sleeves from America. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe something like 72% of them are not in the USAPL. So if the strongest lifters in your style of lifting aren't in your federation, that would be like having the Olympics, having the 100, and not having Usain Bolt. Who the hell wants to see that? Sure. The Olympics wants the world records. They want at least the people who have the world records to be there. So if there's some sort of system beyond your federation, that has better talent than you do. Well, then they want that talent. They don't want you. And there's someone that's more entertaining, and they want that. They don't want you. But why would you want to be part of the Olympics in the first place?
1: A
0: fucking. That's <laughs> a man. better question. A <laughs> fucking man.
4: <laughs> why? Do you, why do you want to be a part of that and make them rich? Yeah, that's bullshit. You ain't. You ain't getting nothing from that.
0: So let's um, do, let's double back then, Michael. We're at the 2018 WPO Finals in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. Your colleague, oh, yeah. and there's your colleague comes yeah. down to watch the meet.
4: Uh huh. And so he walks around the whole time in an ESPN polo, and no one, I didn't see him. No before. one recognizes him. Boy, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's though, about six. How many people probably could have an
1: ESPN polo from like a golf tournament that <laughs> they were at in Florida? <laughs> like it's not necessarily as eye zi-, as eye catching. I do think.
3: Eh,
4: not really, but he's like six, four and a half, six, five. He's a unit walking around with a clipboard, (laughs) taking notes, Mm -hmm. meticulous notes with a stopwatch in his hand. Wow. And he's timing every aspect and making sketches and drawing. Like he's, he, we get to the end and at the end of the night, after everything, we go out and mean Lane sit with this guy by the pool. And we go over about 17 pages of notes, every single line. And it's, you got to address this. You got to fix this. You got to fix this. You got to do this. I went on the website. The website says this. Okay, these are the things that you need. Went through everything. Wow. Basically audited the whole meet Mm -hmm. and just said, these are what the, just said that these are what the uh, ESPN required, um, These are what aspects of the meat. Yeah. 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 We we did all that. And then he said, you know, is this something that you'd want to look into doing? And I was like, well, hell yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when when do you think we could we could do this? And he said, well, you know, you got to put together a pitch and you got to solve these issues. And so then I think that's probably when I got a lot more involved, because Mm -hmm. it became A lot of work above
0: above what Wayne's talent set would be. right?
4: Yeah. It it became a thing where um, even my, you know, that guy's now one of my business partners on the ESPN side. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a thing where he was like, listen, I just, you know, again, how he looked at sports is just here's where it happens. Here are the moving parts. Mm -hmm. This is the timing that it needs to go in. What kind of scoring system do we need and stuff? So, um, you know, he doesn't, he didn't even really deal with like the, a lot of the technical logistical things. He just dealt with structural things for creating a program. Sure. Right. And, uh, so I had from my days of working in TV, you know, production and stuff, I had a basic literacy with all that kind of stuff. Mm hmm. And then from being around Westside and from, uh, you know, being involved that little bit with the WPO prior to that, um, I had the required literacy from the powerlifting side
1: as well. So you were were the bridge between the two that were able to basically, like, allow... You were the API. You allowed everybody to talk together, essentially. Right. Um,
4: And then... Beyond that, I had experience pitching shows mm-hmm. from my days in reality TV. Um and I had experience uh you know, I had experience on the back end from my days at NFL Network and I had experience like pitching investors and stuff. So mm-hmm. so yeah, there was a whole lot of things that kind of just circumstantially I was well suited to do mm-hmm. and well informed to do. Right.
0: And so eventually it gets to, we we fast forward to March, um, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, we fast forward to October of 2019, and we've got the WPO Superfinals, which ESPN was at. Yep.
4: Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, a day out were saying,
1: like, this, this is not going to happen. Yeah, people were saying <laughs> they're not going to show, they're saying <laughs> that they're going to botch you, they're saying that...
0: And I can tell you this, as someone who was at both meets, uh those were vastly different events, the twenty eighteen versus twenty nineteen WPO superfinals. And this is not that's not a, a rip on the twenty eighteen one. It was it was a good meet to get the WPO back running. We have a whole episode on this. We do. But uh it was definitely a different production than what occurred in twenty nineteen.
4: Yeah. Well, and a big part of it, um the from from my side the big the big part of it was powerlifting had basically been stuck in like a time capsule mm-hmm. um only the, you know like the methods and the means had stayed the same but the people had changed mm-hmm. sure you know you had uh, it, it wasn't the, it wasn't like it wasn't ernie France's generation running everything right you know they kind of set um or you know Bill West, you know, to go really far back. Sure. Those guys set a template based on the things that they had seen and the things that they had available. Mm -hmm. And the template hadn't really been updated that much. If you look at the evolution of any sport, I mean, the NFL, the NCAA, Mm -hmm. all these things changed drastically the second TV you know, and even before that, when radio got involved. Right. Definitely. As they,
3: as they cross paths
4: with uh, production, they changed. And like I said, sort of at the beginning of this, was when you work in production, you know, the crew that I use, mm-hmm. um, they came, they came from doing football the weekend before. And when they left, they did, um, When they left, a couple of them went to go do preseason basketball, and a couple of them went to um, go do an ESPN Friday night fight.
3: Mm. Okay.
4: So for them, they do 200 events a year, at least, you know, the average person on those crews, and those 200 events, I mean, a handful of them are soccer, a handful of them are basketball, they're, you know, SEC gymnastics championship coverage, Mm or, you know, like, so for them, like every day, they're rolling up a camera crew at, you know, usually at a different type of sport. And so the the production side of things not only changes the sports, but it also is a place where like a lot of these sports, it increases the, you know, like on the production side, you know, all these little scoring things and things that like, you know, now having gone through it like sort of a second time, even though we didn't have ESPN there at the semifinals this time. Right. Um, which I think is because the venue knew that like none of the shit might happen. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad uh Some of the that have they, Yeah, I'm glad in retrospect that they made things really weird and difficult so that we didn't bring ESPN because I would have been out uh Crazy money. Right. Um, and there wouldn't be any supervisors. But, um, you know, the, that process of having to continuously adapt to new events and new venues with new new logistical hurdles, every time they do something, you know, they have to create a system to deal with or overcome that specific event.
3: Sure.
1: So, so they've got a, almost like a level of standardization when it comes to production, like with just certain things. That's why they do the audit. That's kind of why they have certain things the way they are, because to your point, every event has its own nuances, but you've got to have some type of standard to to get through to be able to jump from production to production each day.
4: Right. But so now it's a situation where, you know, they have things on file logged from the WPO now
3: mm-hmm.
4: that if they ran into a similar, you know, a similar event there's nothing like the WBO <laughs> <laughs> but if they ran into something you know where they were like oh we faced this problem before sure you know it's just pull up that production plan pull up that file what did we do or who worked on that crew right sure. and it, you know so like it's it's like ai almost like it's gotcha. it's this deep learning that sure. you know shapes itself and then just like what we ended up doing basically with the semifinals was taking a lot of the, a lot of the things that had developed because of trying to make it work for TV. A lot of those things worked really well. And, you know, we, we tried to superimpose as much of that as possible into the semis, even though the cameras ultimately were not there. Right.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, Bane and I talked at length about this, and I said years ago that, you know, the average powerlifting meet is set up for the competitors. Right. It's really set up <laughs> for the people who lift in the meet versus if you want something that's set up for the audience, you need something smaller and quicker, you know, and easier to follow, like a sporting event. Because, you know, I like the events we run here at 2XL, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're like the first WPO. They could be eight or ten hours long, and it's set up for the lifters lifting, not for the audience members. Right.
4: Right. Well I think even beyond that I don't think that it's necessarily even set up for the audience members not your meat specifically but most powerlifting meets I think are set up for um for sort of just like for the meat director and not in a not in a means to like profit off of them or exploit them but they're set up as like more so what is the you know running so many people through
3: oh no you're not wrong. arranging
4: the yeah, just arranging the whole day so that, like, from the you know from the standpoint of being the the person or people running it, what makes the most sense for you. And even the faster meets for the lifters who understood that it was going to be a faster meet and thought about what those implications were. Like, we haven't gotten any negative feedback on that so far. No, I mean- and maybe that's just people don't want to tell me bad news or something, but. Um, I think it's the opposite. I think most people are, most
0: people like it. I mean, uh, you know, we had talked with our lifter here, Jennifer Gimmel, who did the semifinals. Mm -hmm. And we had known going in, it was going to be a definitively faster pace and had sort of trained around that. I don't think there was anything negative. In fact, I think everyone I've talked to likes it. It makes it more of an intense competition versus, you know, anybody could go to their gym and just max out, but that's not a competition. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think even like the pace thing, I think ended up helping, um, you know, for a couple people, like say Hoff, it, it becomes really strategic for him because he had to like with the super finals, you know, he passed on his, on his third, uh, on his third squat. And part of that logic was, you know, I need to have enough time to turn around and bench.
0: Mm-hmm. sure so it, it definitely you know. injected more strategy into and one thing i don't i don't think has been expanded upon as much as any changing of attempts on the deadlift um because technically you can change your second deadlift once you can change your third deadlift twice mm-hmm. we had some of that but not a lot and i think that's something that the element of strategy will will maybe get interjected more to the wpo as as lifters and coaches start to understand the logic of coefficients and, and scoring and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, someone's gonna be keeping a, a coefficient tally like on their own throughout the meet. I think, you know, similar to what we talked about with the semifinals, pulling just enough to get in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um
4: and with with the super finals, you know, like we had the scoring system and stuff in place um that at least in the broadcast they could see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so like we have, we literally have the program written, um, but the sort of problem being that it is it, it's not like something that will run off your laptop, right? Um, not because it's not simple enough, it is, but it just it, it was written for a graphics truck program, mm-hmm. um, but to have, you know, basically to have something like that that the lifters can. Access that's the next step is to have it where they can access it throughout the meeting
0: Yeah, I think all the data is there in the program. You even currently it's just a matter of figuring out the macros and and having it in an easily readable fashion. Yeah. So, um, so Michael, let's let's uh, maybe finish this out with uh, you've you've done a powerlifting documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, you're working on another. It sounds like um, yeah. you, you kind of lived lived your projects in the past. Uh, <laughs> when are you going to compete in a powerlifting meet?
4: Um, I don't really know. Um, if I compete, it's going to be multiply.
0: Well, of course. Because
4: um, otherwise it just is training. You know, and, yeah, a, I train. it's a great like,
1: meet here at 2XL. It's actually a Multiply. It's an equipped <laughs> Midwest open.
0: Yes. And you don't have to live in the
1: Midwest to to be there, and I will tell you this right now: the WPO hype man will be there on the platform with all the hype oh, man, and I will pay your entry fee. Oh, all you got to hey.
0: do is come up to Chicago.
1: Yep, that's all you got to do, man.
4: <laughs> all right. Um, well, you, first you can chew first. On I that. need to get yeah. my yeah. <laughs> Probably won't be taking it up like this year, but maybe Fair. maybe after the next documentary is done, where then I can actually. It has to be away from the WPO. Sure. Um, assuming that I have continued involvement and all that. And, Fair. Um. But so yeah, it have to be in a slow point in my schedule. Um. And first, I have to get
1: have to get some gear. Okay. Um.
3: It, uh, there's so, some you know,
1: people involved with the WPO I have... Inzer they've got some stuff. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll connect you guys. Yeah. Uh, let <laughs>
3: yep.
1: <some> <laughs> <laughs> I've I've heard. I have. <laughs>
4: I have uh I have some predators. Um, I think I need to get, probably need to get an ultra pro. I want to get the canvas, but I also am trying to to cut down on my weight a bit.
0: Yeah, the the ultra pro is nice in that it is adjustable because the old school canvas, um, man, you change your weight by ten pounds and it either is so tight you'll never get it on or mm-hmm. off, or it's so loose you get nothing out of it. Yeah. That's the tricky I part. I also
4: don't have really like training partners.
0: Oh, we well, mm, are. That, you, are you still in Florida?
4: I am still in Florida. I'm oh. in Tallahassee.
0: I mean, there's so many powerlifters in Florida. It's yeah, ridiculous, Michael. It's crazy. There's power lifters yeah. everywhere.
3: <laughs> there, there are.
4: Uh, under a
0: normal um, circumstances, there's like a meet every weekend in Florida. Yeah, it's true. Yeah,
4: there's there are two, I believe, two USAPL gyms. You. Um, <laughs> like a quarter mile away from each other.
1: Do they, they run each other out if they think somebody's on
4: gear? <laughs> um, I one of them, the owner, was none too kind to me. Um yeah. Um then we have uh like Jeremy Hornstra has a gym. Oh, okay. locally. but no one the problem is not having power lifters, and I have you know, I have access to all my dad's equipment and stuff, so I have two miles I got all the bars and Jesus. He still has a mono. It's the big mono rack. It's like the largest...
0: Oh, the one from Elite FTS? fucking model
4: that oh. Elite sells.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, I know exactly what one that is. Holy cow. That thing is huge. Yeah.
4: yeah. It had to be, like, loaded in by a team, and Jesus. it's in the house now, and you have to completely disassemble it to get it out, because okay. it won't fit through the garage door. Um.
0: Well, then you just need to create your own crew. I mean yep. you got the equipment there. Yeah. If, yeah. If you say you have a monolift, powerlifters with gear somehow they will, just they, will come. they just start appearing. <laughs> you
4: <laughs> I've I've been trying that. I've I've literally been trying it. Um I just started like strength coaching as a volunteer position mm-hmm. at my old high school. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, we've
0: been following that on your Instagram.
4: Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. I've seen
1: a lot of good results from those kids. It's pretty dope.
4: Yeah, I'm and you know, I I really enjoy that. Um, so I'm trying to, along with bringing the weight down, I think I want to get down into like the 240 range and be mildly athletic for at least a little bit.
3: Okay.
4: Um, but, uh, man, hoping some of those kids will maybe, uh, you know, realize that they, they might not be going to the NFL, but they, they realize, like, you know, hey, it, Cool to just keep training, get yeah. stronger. Yeah, no doubt. Um, then I can recruit some of them in. Sure.
0: Um well, yeah, anyb- the, anybody the, listening i that's keep in the- having
4: people show up and they show up like once or twice and uh, then they're gone.
0: Yeah. Anybody in the Tallahassee area that's interested in powerlifting, I think everybody knows how to get a hold of Michael fahey Yeah, I think so. Many Instagram handles and accounts. At
1: at Westside Film. Yep. There yeah, you go. There you go.
0: Well, this has been very insightful, Michael. We really appreciate you taking all this time with us. Yes, thank you, man. Um, man, this has been a lot, a lot of good stories.
4: There have been, there have legitimately been points in the middle of this where I forget or have forgotten that this is the idea being that it would be recorded and broadcasted out to people. <laughs> yeah. So that's
0: exciting. <laughs> it's going to be fun. <laughs> I, think, um, I think you've been pretty good in all your answers, especially I, oh, in the yeah. really careful ones that you had to be careful on. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. framed that very well. But I, I do <laughs> want
1: to say as we kind of sign off, at least from the recording part, Michael, thank you so much for everything you've done uh, for the sport. I think you've done a lot of really positive things. Nothing's ever perfect, but I do think you've done a lot of great stuff uh, and just love being a part of everything the WPO is doing. I love that you're a part of it and very excited for whatever the future holds. And I'm sure there'll be future interviews where we talk about
0: all this stuff. Yeah, we look forward to the Super Finals in October.
1: Yeah,
4: hopefully everything is opened up so everyone stay inside so we can... Stay the Get fuck home. Yep, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no
0: doubt. Man, no doubt. All right. Thanks so much, Michael. Well, all right, Mr. Bain. There we are. Wow. Holy schmoly.
1: You know, man, that's uh, I mean, first of all, thank you, Mike. Michael, that's, that's an amazing interview. There's so much there.
0: Yeah, I, I know he's done a few other podcasts, which I've listened to some of, but mm-hmm. I don't know that he's gone into that level of detail. Yeah. I, on, I, you know, kind of the origins of West Side versus the world on like the origins of like him just how we got into
1: lifting. Like I well, thought he was just some dude.
0: Yeah. I, I'd heard some stories that like his brother lifted at West Side or something, but yeah. obviously maybe his brother did, but no, I mean, the level of detail on things like, you know, how his dad had two monoliths in his garage.
1: And I then mean a bunch of other equipment
0: and they, but never competed never like that is it was fascinating. Well and how about Dave Tate was down there for a seminar in his M- multiple seminars. Right, three seminars in his literal garage. That's just a crazy story. Dude, it just I mean
1: wow. I I, I I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to go back once we drop this one. I got to listen to that probably two or three times and just because there are so many things that I want to, you know, follow up with him on and just understand more of.
0: Well, and, and I emailed, uh, I emailed Michael afterwards and basically said, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, thanks for the interview. We appreciate it. Um, I think that there's some things on the W because we, we really almost could have split it into two interviews and mm-hmm. done one just on West Side versus the World and yep. done another follow up on the WPO because right. we really didn't go into. As much in the WPO as we could have, and we maybe will yeah. do a follow up on that and just just talk to him about his involvement and the future of the WPO because he's right. got he's got you know he's got some plans there he's got some thoughts mm-hmm. and I think uh, you know diving into those would be interesting.
1: I, I agree, and I think uh, you know I, I thought about this as, as we recorded it, so so you know we kind of had to split the recording up because of just you know the amount of content that you know Michael gave us, but I was thinking about this afterwards and I'm like, wow. I wonder if he went to that level of detail, because it may be the last interview he gives on West Side vs. the World. Because at this point, it's been out for, what, a year and a half, two years? Sure. And, you know, how many folks are going to continue to ask him in interviews? Like, cool, he kind of did a swan song with us. Like, And again, this is me just guessing and assuming on things. Wow, how cool would that be that that's the last one? Look at all this detail that went into him. It was really crazy. And then we got extra after that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked for another 20 minutes on the phone with Michael on additional stories that yeah. he uh, perhaps legally is not able to say Correct. out loud.
1: Correct. But it was... Uh, but it was, it was man what a what an experience
0: so yeah if you want to go back in the archives Bane and i did a whole episode on reviewing west side versus the world mm-hmm. and i would encourage you to you know maybe jump back into the archives and you could jump back in the archives and listen to our wpo mm-hmm. you know super finals reaction where we went into some of the detail and, and on the semifinals <laughs> yeah we didn't really i mean we hardly touched in the semifinals i mean there's really, a, yeah. there's a whole story there with the spn not Showing up, and we, we went into that a little bit, but there's there's obviously more that could be. There's a lot more. There's, there's a lot like more could be gone into, and you know we're we're still living it now. Yep. um with, Right. With how uh, the Arnold Classic was quote postponed, mm-hmm. and I think, Ben, when you said that the uh, the Arnold Classic will never happen this year, I think you're probably right. Facts. Yeah, I don't think the Arnold Classic will happen this year, and no. I think it'll probably. Just ride it on till next year.
1: Well, I actually got an email from uh, from the Arnold Classic. Uh, on, let me pull this up real quick as we're getting things well, going.
0: and it's interesting to bring up the Arnold Classic because as we're thinking about future episode ideas, one of them that that came to mind was: mm-hmm. could we do an episode on the history of the Arnold Classic itself and how? Yeah, I, you know, how did it end up in Columbus? Because that's how, when people
1: ask me about it a lot, like why is it in Columbus and all
0: that. Yeah, why is it? I don't know. That, yeah. That'd be interesting to research. Is you know why is it in Columbus and you know, uh, how, did, how did Arnold get involved with promoting? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, you know at, at this point, he's a movie star. Mm-hmm. You know, he's no longer a bodybuilder. He's been a politician, but yet he's still involved in this basically giant multi-sports fitness expo. Right. And so that, that would be interesting to dive into.
1: I, I agree. And if we can get anybody that can give us some insight from the Arnold itself, you know, maybe we could even you know, try to swing that since obviously we have a couple degrees of separation, but we've got some connections there.
0: Sure. Any any final thoughts on the Michael Fahey mega interview? <laughs> uh, again,
1: you know, thank you, Michael. It was it was awesome. And I, I'm not going to lie, I am looking forward to the follow-up of West versus the World, whenever that's going to be, whatever that's going to be, and the 2020 WPO Superfinals. One, just because I want to get back to some level of normalcy. I know we're probably never going to get back to the way things were prior to this COVID situation.
0: I mean, everything in life changes life, right? right. It's everything, it's you know, fun. every incident that happens is is going to have an impact, right? Right.
1: right. for, there's, al- there's always, you know, the ripple effect. So I'm just looking forward to kind of getting back to that and then getting back to, you know, putting these big meets on, be doing, uh, doing what we can to continue to grow the sport because it's just something that I, I'm just ready to get back to at this
0: point. Uh, you know I am.
1: Uh, yes, 100%. Uh, so yeah, if anything else, the email I got from the Arnold Sports Festival Says rain returns in 2021 and Arnold Virtual Expo deals. Basically, as a, as a virtual expo, you can buy stuff, and they announced the dates of March 4th through 7th, 2021.
0: Yeah, it's always that first full weekend in March. Yep. So I would say it's what's most likely is there will be no other Arnold this year. Yeah, and they're just especially with the, the coronavirus, they're they're not going to attempt anything of that size until no until next year. I mean, they've 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 postponed the Olympics till next year.
1: Yeah, which that's I mean
0: that's that's huge. I we, mean that's that's a that's a multi like. That's like a planned, like, 10 years in advance kind of thing.
1: Yeah, you get awarded, yeah, like 10 years out. So it's crazy. Crazy. Yeah.
0: Well, with that, Mr. Bain, this is Eric Stone signing out.
1: Strength and Anger.